Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. I figured I would keep the theme from Frank Sinatra, the uh, Ramsey Monster Show, hosted by our own Joe Piscopo for the two hours, six to eight, and then Dina Martin playing her father's classics, Dean Martin from Steubenville, Ohio, where Jimmy the Greek also, the great handicapper, came out of, to uh, Bobby Darren. That's right, Bobby Darren, the Bronx guy, who went to the Bronx High School of Science, uh, eventually Hunter College. A lot of people don't know that. And on to a lot of fame, a lot of fortune, but unfortunately died at a very early age because he had what my mother had, Francesca, rheumatic fever. And back then, they thought that if you had moved uh, while you were in a room or you were running and playing outside, it caught could cause your aorta to explode. So the remedy was just sit in a chair all day. And boy, he did. And he came up with jingles and songs. And Connie Francis was my all-time favorite. Let me tell you something. Connie Francis, years later, said he was the love of my life. I should have eloped with him. But when he asked me, we should have run away and gotten married. And unfortunately, Bobby Darren, at the height of his fame, died at the age of 37 uh, because he had had multiple heart operations. Now, in this environment, COVID, where it's staring us down again in what I'll call the so what wave, like, here we go again. Uh, A guy like Bobby Darren, even at his young age, would have been subject to having the lockdown because of his uh, preconditions, of which he had many, even at a young age. Somebody like myself, uh, who just turned 68, boy, do I have a number of preconditions, a lot. And it might even cause many of you listening out there in our audience who have all kinds of preconditions to think twice, especially when the news of the day is not only is this new COVID variant sweeping through Washington, D.C., sweeping through Albany, But it is sweeping through New York City and has infected our mayor, Eric Adams, who today it would have been his hundredth day on the job. He had a series of activities that he was going to attend, noting that. And he had to cancel. It started uh, off with his uh, morning activities. He was expected out in Staten Island. Uh, He had to cancel. He had had a covid test. It proved positive. So he's going to have to hunker down for about a week uh, in a precautionary move. Apparently, he had uh, what this new variant suggests uh, that he and others might have, a raspy voice. That man, he woke up this morning after a trip to Albany yesterday on Saturday where he was uh, learning about the licensing procedure for the new marijuana stores that are going to be opening up soon because... uh, Legal uh, recreational use of marijuana is the law 
It's just they don't have the licensed establishments yet. So, And some part of his week, going way back to the gridiron dinner last Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night in Washington, D.C., uh, as we saw about 68 people who were there came down with COVID-19, whether it's the uh, new variant or it's the uh, BAD dominant form. There are so many variants now. It's hard to keep check. I have vertical. Uh, but uh, we have been assured that the mayor will conduct a, a truncated schedule. He'll do some Zoom conference call. So it's not like he's laying up in bed or it's a serious case of COVID. He is just showing symptoms. So we hope the best for Eric Adams. Uh, you look to Washington, D.C. Uh, as you know, Nancy Pelosi was diagnosed with having COVID-19, as were many of the others at that gridiron event. It had a lot of political types from not just Washington, D.C., but all over the United States in attendance. They, Many of them were diagnosed as being positive for COVID-19. I don't know if it is the prevalent variant right now, the BA2 dominant form, or the brand new form that seems to be a, a confluence of both forms. They call it the XE variant, and we've been told over and over again to expect more and more of this, hopefully, uh, as people are being vaccinated or they're getting their boosters. Uh, they are not going to be so impaired as we were back in March of 2020 when uh, this brand new coronavirus was just taking out whole swaths of our population, people that we loved one moment, that were vibrant, healthy, and then within a matter of days and hours, they were on a, and most of them perished. We're never going back to those days. We're never, we can't go back to those days. But Dr. Fauci, what did he say today as this uh, new variant of coronavirus is spreading across the nation? He wants more money to fight the latest variant. And everyone is coming up with their own conclusions. I can just say, thank God it is not. Not a serious variant, at least at this point, it's not. But unfortunately, what's troubling is this new XE variant, which is a combination of the two previous variants, which may be a lot tougher in the long run to crack. We'll see. But as Boris Johnson, who led the news because of his visit to Kiev to the embattled uh, Ukrainians and their president Zelensky, as he has said over and over again, guess what? We got to live with COVID. It's just we got to move on with our life. And remember, he almost lost his uh, leadership of the U.K. because not only had he been diagnosed with COVID, remember, he was on a ventilator. He almost died. And then it turned out that soon after he was involved in many outdoor parties that were taking, out, taking place at the prime minister's residence at 10 Downing Street. In London, I don't know if any of you have visited there. Boy, it's very disappointing when you go and uh, you look at 10 Downing Street. You say, that's it? Uh, Gee, it looks like just one long row house. Oh, yeah, very disappointing. But that's the residence of the prime minister. And he almost got sacked because he not only didn't say no to these parties uh, that involved his staff and friends and others, but he was a uh, willing participant. I think that's one of the reasons he decided to go with Zelensky and visit him in the embattled Ukraine, be able to show that he's rough and tough, and he wants you thinking more of him in a Churchillian way, like people do of uh, Zelensky now. 
than in the Boris Johnson way, which is uh, he looks frazzled. You look at his hair. Uh, he's like mooched up all the time. <laughs> but no mask. He had no mask on his visit, even though, believe it or not, with the new variant of coronavirus, a.k.a. COVID-19, spreading across our nation, the worst forms are coming out of the Ukraine where only 30% of the population has been vaccinated. None of them have been uh, given boosters uh, because of the war that is being conducted by Vladimir Putin, who swapped out his main general today and brought in sort of a General Tecumseh Sherman type, a slash-and-burn guy who was even worse than the first guy. Uh, his history is he just demolishes villages, towns, cities, and kills anybody that a Russian uh, a Russian soldier can aim at and fire at. Uh, so that's the position he has taken. But a lot of people have not paid attention that in the flight of over 4 million refugees out of various parts of the Ukraine, many of them have been diagnosed with COVID-19 because only 30% of their population is vaccinated. This also brings us to the point of what's happening down at the border with Title 42, a bipartisan group of senators, Republicans and Democrats, saying they want hearings because they don't think the Biden administration should roll back Title 42, which holds the uh, those uh, those individuals at the border who want to come in and seek asylum uh, because of the prevailing problems with coronavirus and COVID-19 and the various variants. Uh, It's getting to be a larger and larger, big partisan group of Democrats and Republicans, a rarity on the Hill. But I think it's hit home with so many on the Hill coming down with this new variant. A lot of people were saying, wait, you're going to let all these people come in claiming asylum, including Ukrainians. There are a lot of Ukrainians who have made their way to Mexico City from parts of East Europe, West Europe. Uh, They've taken the buses up to Tijuana for passage into San Diego from Juarez, passage into El Paso, Texas, and to Nuevo Laredo, passage into Laredo in Texas. I've been to all three locations, uh, very heavily trafficked. uh, But now overwhelming numbers of Central Americans from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, uh, folks coming in there from Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and throughout parts of Africa as they're trying to gain entry into the United States, claiming that they are victims of political purges, of gang activity, of rape, of uh, slaughter, and they want to take an easy pass into the United States. The question now becomes, uh, do you let the Ukrainians get to the front of the line before you consider anybody else's asylum application but you know, with President Joe Biden saying we'll accept 100,000 at this point Ukrainians, it's going to be a lot more who make their way to our southern border and want to pour in uh, with the rest of them. And to this point, can't get a straight answer out of the administration is before even considering them coming across from Mexico into the United States, will they be fully vaccinated? Or at least have the one shot at Johnson & Johnson, Maduro, or Pfizer. We're not talking about the uh, Russian vaccine. We're not talking about the red Chinese vaccine. We're not talking about the vaccine that's come out of India. We're talking about those vaccines that were fast-tracked by then-President Donald Trump, funded with our tax dollars, Maduro and Johnson and Johnson, excuse me, uh, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, and Maduro paid its own uh, own bill. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I ask all of you, as we are just now beginning to make progress, crawling out of the lockdown and the pandemic, the mayor himself, who's now been diagnosed with a variant of COVID-19, we're not quite sure which, but he's going to be on the shelf for a week as he quarantines, self-quarantines. He had hinted that he wanted to... uh, uh, actually remand his order to make the little kitties in kindergarten and pre-kindergarten have to wear masks, which has caused him uh, unbelievable angst because every day mothers have shown up with their children uh, outside of Gracie Mansion. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not, but definitely at City Hall. Uh, and they've been coming at the mayor in waves. As you know, he's one who likes the nightlife. He's been going out uh, to Broadway uh, musicals. Uh, to restaurant uh, restaurants in Midtown, and somehow, some way, they they seem to know where he's going because by the time he actually cops a squad in a theater or a restaurant, they're outside waiting for him and they're giving him hell. And it's kind of difficult in the aftermath of his administration, the law department firing uh, the mother who is pregnant with two children, who is part of their law department because she uh, attended a press conference and asked him when is he going to rescind that order after he had promised to do so. Now, I don't know if he is even going to reconsider that because he's probably going to say, hey, look, I'm Eric Adams. I'm in good shape. No doubt about it. Uh, He leads a healthy life. At one point, he was on the verge. He recognized possibly uh, dying of diabetes or suffering a very painful, uh, debilitating existence, maybe losing his eyesight, maybe having other abnormalities, completely changed his diet uh, to a vegetarian. He's not really a vegan, but he's a vegetarian. And uh, there's no doubt he has a lot of energy. But I can imagine Eric Adams now saying, look, if somebody like me could catch this variant of COVID-19, Little children who are not vaccinated, imagine that, because he's been vaccinated, and I believe he's been boosted, and now all of a sudden Maduro and Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer are claiming, uh, you know, just get one booster, you may have to get a second booster, and every three or four months another booster, and I said, hey, I'm boosted out. I gave what I had to at the last wedding I went to, to the, uh, to the uh, wives' booster bag. I'm not getting any more booster shots. I didn't have one. I had two shots from Pfizer. That's it for me. You want boosters? Hey, go ahead. Get boosters. I encourage you to do so. But there are a lot of other people, as you know, they haven't even gotten that first shot or that second shot. They are not vaxxed. And they're being told, you see, you see, the mayor got COVID, and he leads a healthy life, and he's been vaxxed, and I'm uh, assuming he got one booster. But if anything, that is going to be justification to them. Like, wait, uh, he, he he had the full package, and he got COVID. So I'm not going to get uh, a vaccine. So we're, we're going round and round and round, chasing our tails. As you know, there is a vaccine mandate for uh, – for private businesses in New York City, we're the last big city to have this. If you have 100 employees or more, they must be vaccinated or they cannot work uh, for your company. And that's why many more people are working from home. That's one of the reasons. Uh, 60% of our office space is empty. Slowly but surely, workers are coming back, but in little drips and drabs. Crime is the number one reason because it's out of control in the subways and streets. 
But the other reason is that a lot of people just don't want to be vaccinated, don't want to be masked up, don't want to have to live that life any longer. They are they are at their level of, um, I guess we can call it um, their level of acceptance of any more vaccines, any more boosters, having to wear masks anymore, having to distance, socially distance, not be able to go into restaurants, not be able to go into bars, not be able to go into nightclubs. They've had it. It's uh, Now it's uh, total tolerance. No more zero tolerance. It's total tolerance. You can't tell them that. Oh, by the way, before we came on the air at about 645 in Times Square, because we've got our fingers on the pulse, and I came from the streets right into the Swedes. If you were in the Times Square area, about 47th Street, you heard enormous explosions. And hundreds of people just started stampeding. Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured. The assumption being that it was either explosions, uh, God only knows, maybe terrorism, some people were saying, or gunfire, which has happened before. Uh, but they basically put the whole area in lockdown. It turned out that it was a con ed problem of um, manhole covers exploding, three of them over by uh, West 47th Street. So it had nothing to do with terrorism. It had nothing to do with the kind of shootings that are plaguing different parts of our city. But it's just symptomatic of what's happening in the city. You know, people are more frightened of lead poisoning uh, than they are of catching uh, COVID in any of its variants. People are starting to flex. When I'm in the subways now, young people, they're not wearing masks. Now, I would say high schoolers, no. Junior high schoolers, no. Oh, little kiddie poos if they're with their parents, yeah. But you see more and more young people, they're not wearing masks. And you see more and more, I would say, um, hipsters and millennials not wearing masks. But when it comes to 55-plus, I go into neighborhoods where there's a strong breeze, there's nobody around, and people are masked up. Go ahead. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. And then, again, I can't, I can't understand how you could be in your car by yourself, by yourself, in which you have control of the airflow, and you're masked up, sometimes double masked up. I can't understand that for the life of me. But people are, in many instances, so terrified. And it may be that they have low immunities. It may be that they are receiving some kind of therapy, like chemotherapy, which makes them more subject uh, to catching the variant. And then, boy, that's double trouble when your immunity is low. So I no longer am judgmental like that. Uh, I choose not to wear a mask as often as not. Other people look at me like, put your mask on. Uh, You put your mask on. You want to wear a mask, knock yourself out, okay? I I choose not to wear a mask. I I know where I have to wear a mask, and I know where I don't. But now you're going to see with the mayor being diagnosed with a variant of COVID-19, many more people, I believe, are going to hit the panic button. Uh, Hopefully he makes public statements on a regular basis because he's able to do that, in which he says we're not stopping Uh, We're not vacillating. We're not going backwards. We're moving forwards like Boris Johnson said with his crazy hair with the moose in it. We're stuck with COVID-19 and we're going to have to live with it. And guess what? The rates in the U.K. are skyrocketing. Luckily, people are not being hospitalized and forced onto ventilators and perishing. But these variants could crop up at any point, especially in third world countries where people have not been vaccinated And the strength of the variant may even be greater than anything we're capable of dealing with right now. 
And again, we look to the Ukraine where only 30% of the people in the Ukraine were vaccinated. Uh, over 4 million people have left. When they're crossing the borders of Romania or Hungary, especially Poland, a Sikh sanctuary, they are not getting vaccinated because obviously you got to process the refugees. So anticipate a continued spread. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's quickly go, if we can, to Sammy, who's calling from Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Sammy. All right. Good evening. Uh, how about the Yankees? The Red Sox seem like they've been handling the last two days, but Eric Adams may disable them all. He was hugging and kissing all of them pregame Friday at the opening day ceremonies. What do you think about that? After exonerating all these guys from not having shots to uh, actually going out there and uh possibly infecting them. What's your thoughts on that? Well, now that he is infected, he's going to have to he's going to have to respond to those questions. There it is, Aaron judges out there. We know he's not vaxxed. We know there are other Yankees who are not vaxxed. In fact, before the opening pitch to begin the season at home for the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium, one of the vendors, uh, a female, uh, sued the New York Yankees because she was not permitted to work serving dirty water hot dogs and beer because she's not vaccinated. Now, the hypocrisy in that is that she can't work because she's not vaccinated. But Aaron Judge, who refused to sign a $225 million extension of his contract because he thinks his stuff is so good, guess what? When you roid it up like he is, you're going to end up having all kinds of muscle pulls, quad pulls, things that never existed before. Sammy, the hypocrisy is so obvious. Obvious. Now, can I ask you one other question? Of course. Of course, Sammy. You're from Howard Beach. You get to ask me whatever you want. I'm just hoping you won't Uh, shoot me. I want to ask you whatever you want. I know you work for a great boss. Yes, John Katzmatidis, the best, first class. this love affair, this tolerance. Him and his parrot, Lydia, have with the mayor. No, 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 no. You got to understand, Sammy. Sammy. Unacceptable. Well, well, wait a second. Excuse me, Sammy. You have all different points of view here towards WABC. Uh, The mayor was kind enough to come on with Sid and Bernie. They had a very good exchange for about 10 to 12 minutes on Friday, a day after I came on, and was highly critical of him uh, in the same show. Uh, you do have a variance, uh, points of view, John Katsimatidis, uh, Lydia, some others. Uh, Dominic Carter uh, are more supportive of the mayor. I not so much. Uh, Greg Kelly not so much. Uh, Rudy Giuliani not so much. Uh, Bo Snurdly, it depends on the day. That's what talk radio is about. Everybody has their own point of view. And that's what John Katsimatidis allows you to do here at WABC. Look, uh, there are all different points of view depending on the issue. I think we can all agree that Eric Adams has been far more visible in his first 100 days than Bill de Blasio ever was. It is freaking bunker, giving us the COVID updates every day. And then for two hours a day, going to Greenwood Cemetery and just walking around going. But he's still spinning his wheels. I'd say if I was giving, if I was giving him uh, a report card, definitely A-plus for the nightlife A-plus for his wardrobe. Uh, I won't give him any other grades at this point because, let's face it, we all want him to recover from COVID and get back on track. 
Uh, it's important for the city. But look, look what happened up in Albany. As they were uh, debating the budget, many of them came down with this new variant of COVID. Washington, D.C., same thing. It's amazing how President Joe Biden has not been diagnosed positive. He got kissed by Nancy Pelosi. That alone. She's positive. He's negative. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mark, who's calling from Rahway, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Hello there, Curtis. I uh, I haven't spoke to you, as you say, in more than a month of Sundays. And you might only remember because uh, I, when I call from Rahway, you always say, oh, yeah, you buy the prison. I'm not one of these types that say, don't you remember we met or I called you in April of 1983? Of course you wouldn't remember, but by the prison you might. <laughs> oh, for I sure. Literally- I remember what is it called now? They changed the name from Rahway to what is that, Northern State Prison? Yeah, yeah. But at first I called here to uh, give you a compliment and chew on your shorts for a minute. But when I heard you with Han today, I first have to say I heard the voice from the grave of the goat. I thought of fake, phony, fraud, Han. I hear Grant's voice when he disgraced our Gumbada Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, and you allowed him to cut you down the sides. And I thought, God, but I digress. No, no, no. Uh, let's uh, let's talk on that. We had a very spirited discussion about Hunter Biden's laptop and how Rudy Giuliani, who is my Kumbadachich, is being vindicated each and every day because he came up with the laptop. Bernard Carrick, his former police commissioner, brought it to the Delaware State Police, the FBI. Uh, Rudy and uh, Carrick brought it to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Pittsburgh. They did nothing with it. And each and every day, Mark, it's turning out that Rudy is more and more correct. The New York Post was more and more correct because they were the only major media uh, outlet to go with it. Uh, And uh, the 51 so-called experts of the National Security Association in years past who vilified Rudy said he was a puppet of Putin and it was Russian disinformation. Not one of them has apologized. So I forced Christopher Hahn to at least come one-third of the way. He's got two-thirds of the way to go. But really, Rudy does deserve an apology from all of those naysayers who said that he was just a puppet of Putin and he was spreading Russian disinformation. Of of course, of course. And the truth will come out. But the reason why I called, Curtis, is because I don't think that the uh, the high-ups the, uh, the suits gave you your due with the name of your show. I'm a little bit late on this, but like I said, I just had to give you a call. And excuse me for chewing on your shorts for a minute. But like all icons, the name of the person has to be in the in the name of the show. Hennedy, when Henny comes on, he says, welcome to Hennedy. You know, Levin, Bob Grant. And I thought a name that would have been a play on words would have been great for you would have been the Sliwa Experience. Two-folded. Mark, Mark, let me me explain. That's why you're calling from uh, from a cell phone uh, that you've somehow illegally procured in Northern State Prison, formerly known as Rahway. You've been given your phone (laughs) privilege time to call me. You're you're, you're an armchair program director. I understand that everybody has their own point of view. But we had to bifurcate this because we have Frank Morano, the other side of Midnight, and yeah. then I had a full-page ad that John Katsimatidis put into the New York Post promoting both of our shows. 
He called my show the other, other side of midnight. It's also been referred to as another side of midnight. So what, what, this, this is a work in progress, Mark. This is a work in progress. And it, my, my name I doesn't understand. have to appear. You know, it's like I just ran for mayor. My name was everywhere, okay? I know, I know. But we love you out here. And I just had to say, the Sliwa experience, you get it. When we talk to you, we hear your experience. We get a memorable call. And so I just had to chew on your shorts because I think you deserve well, it. Well, well. So call again. No, I, I understand, uh, Mark. And Camilla, Camelia, do me a favor, our phone screener. I know, Mark, what he's asking for next. He wants me to write to the parole board. He wants me to write a glowing tribute to Mark as a caller that somehow this will compensate for the crimes that he committed against the state of New Jersey. I get, I get calls from Trenton State. I've gotten calls from Rahway. Uh, you know, you get phone privilege. So uh, imagine you'd be crazy enough to use that phone privilege to call a talk radio station. But it's happened with me, especially in, now what do I call it? The other, other side of midnight, as was in the full-page ad taken out by John Katsimatidis in the New York Post, or another side of midnight, which was uh, chosen, not by me, but believe it or not, by Frank Morano. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. You know why we're playing this song with uh, Easter upon us next weekend. Uh, earlier today, I went uh, and got my palms because I'm an EMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you don't see me for a month of Sunday. President Joe Biden, he got his uh, palms. He's a very observant Catholic. Ashes is Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani. He got his palms. And so this becomes a battle between the two observant Catholics. I'll take a pass on that because I'm an AMP Catholic. But you know what's coming up. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. The Catholics are focused on the crucifixion. The Protestants on the resurrection. And everyone else on what? A vacation. Easter vacation. Of course. And tell me those aren't going to be super spreader events. <laughs> ha! With this new COVID-19 variant, whether it is the newest of the new, the Dr. Fauci is warning about us saying we need more money. We need more of your taxpayer money to fight the latest variant. They call it the XE variant. Or the dominant form that is hitting us all now, the BA2, which I would bet is what has put uh, our mayor, Eric Adams, on the shelf, or at least for the next week. Uh, he is going to be uh, hibernating, not out and about. And for many of you, I think uh, we can all recognize that we know a lot of people of late who've come down with this new variant. But it's all part of a different kind of an attitude. I call it, it's uh, us staring down this new COVID variant and saying, so what? 
So what? Uh, we had it before. You can't knock me out. It's sort of like De Niro in Raging Bull. Remember when he said to Sugar Ray Robinson, Hey, you, you didn't knock me down, Sugar. He's all bloody. He's all bad. You didn't knock me down. Because we know we're not going back to March of 2020. And look at Boris Johnson with the crazy, fritty hair in Kiev. A guy was on the ventilator. A guy who almost checked out. A guy who was actually partying in uh, 110 Downing Street in the middle of the lockdown and the pandemic. Almost cost him being prime minister. Was walking around the Ukraine uh, with uh, Zelensky. Uh, in what is now the COVID hotspot of the world, because um, only 30% of Ukrainians uh, have been vaccinated. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And you know there are going to be some folks out there that are going to want to go backwards, mask up, you know, get your boosters, lockdown. Oh, no, they cannot do that. Our city is a ghost town. We are the last major city to recover Florida is freedom land, DeSantis land. Uh, when I went there for a week, oh, about a month ago, I almost didn't come back. Truly. I, the, the difference between being in Florida and being in our tri-state area of Connecticut, New York, New Jersey is enormous. Just the whole vibe, the attitude that people have. And you would think with all the old Altacockers, wait a second, I'm 68, I'm an Altacocker. Having the blue plate specials. Yeah, I was invited to have a blue plate special on City Island this past week. Uh, that was a pretty embarrassing. You know, you don't get too many choices, uh, the blue plate special. But you would have thought the place where some people go to die, Florida, that they would have the number one rate of COVID-19 and all the variants, and they don't. Because they're not afraid of it. Was he? Oh, God. I live on the Upper West Side. Oh, my God. They wear two, three masks. You walk into a store. You don't have to wear a mask any longer. They're like, they look at you if you don't have a mask. Where's your mask? I said, well, you know, you don't have to wear a mask. You know, Governor Hochul saying, no, no, it doesn't matter. Where's your mask? And then I just leave. I don't want to set up a scene. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tommy in uh, Bergen Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Good evening, Curtis. Another great night. If you didn't mind, with you, Curtis. Thank you. Yeah, I really don't like wearing a mask. I'm I'm sick of it. You know, drive me nuts. I'm not vaccinated, but I have natural immunity. You know, today it was funny as hell. You were talking about people driving in their cars, walking around. I was I was driving back here, and I saw three people today in their cars driving along with masks, and I started cracking up laughing. I left my tuchus off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see that. And, uh, I see that all the time. Yeah, you know, I understand you're an Uber driver, you're a cab driver. That's like part of the rules. You're the driver, so yeah, you need business because they all are sucking wind. Uh, the, you know, the price yeah. of the price of gasoline is just knocking out whatever any money they can make. See, the customer is always right. You may get that one customer who insists that you have a mask. They might not even get in your car if you're not wearing a mask. So I get that. But then to all of a sudden see a man or a woman driving what is probably their own car, you know, windows closed or open with like a mask, a double mask, an N95 mask on. And I'm like, really? Yeah. I also noticed that uh, a lot of high-end Democrats have tested positive for COVID. You know, Saki Adams, Pelosi, Garland, uh, Gina Raimondi, 
uh, and three representatives I've noticed, they're all talking about it very highly. I think you should invest in uh, Pfizer again, you know, get some more money in Pfizer. Well, that's exactly what Fauci was saying earlier today. But understand, a lot of this came from the super spreader. They all attended the gridiron dinner last Saturday night in D.C., mostly Democrats, some Republicans, including our own Mayor Eric Adams. He might have gotten it there. Maybe he didn't get it there. We don't know. But the point being is is that now there's lockdown fever in Washington, D.C. They're talking about possibly locking down, Tom. They can't do that, Tom. They cannot go back. I can't go back. Listen, I just wanted to say, you know, I've called you a number of times and never told you, uh, you know, when you were when you were campaigning, you were in the Irish Riviera, and we had a nice talk about how you would help fix the city, yada, yada, yada. I still have the picture of us, and my ex-wife still gets jealous. Oh, your ex-wife gets jealous, Tommy, in the Irish Riviera. I won that area. Yeah, the Irish came out. Because when I was out there campaigning, I chased the leprechauns, didn't find any pot of gold. Uh, I had shamrock tattoos on, you know, the ones that the kids put on. Yeah, you know, hey, look, anything to give me an edge. Uh, I don't have an Irish uh, drop in me. And I was kissing the Blarney Stone everywhere. They said, kiss my Blarney Stone. Really? Yeah, kiss my. All right, does it mean a vote? You got it. 1 800 848 9222. Let's go, uh, if we can, Andrew calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Curtis, good evening. Uh, I am a train operator for the Department of Subways, okay? And just in the last six to seven months, just my own personal statistics, I'm seeing a huge ramp up of uh, illegals sleeping on the trains. We're talking about these are not homegrown bums. These are... Over the uh, through the southern border, people just aimlessly sleeping on the trains, stone drunk. You can't even wake them up. And the key is they have this. They all have the same cough. It, I, I can't explain it. I, they don't wear masks. They're all over the trains, and uh, it's getting worse and worse. Wait till next month with, with uh, Title Forty Two. Once that, uh, well, Andrew, yeah, Andrew, you yeah. gotta you gotta understand this. Um, the mayor has decided to break up all the encampments that many of these men and women were in, regardless if they're illegal or they're local or whatever. They don't just disappear. They're not going into the shelters. Uh, only five of them out of hundreds chose to go to a shelter. Uh, you go to a shelter, and I've been into most of them, Andrew. It's like uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like Jack Nicholson is coming at you with an axe. There's no controls. It's extraordinarily dangerous. So I I kind of understand why so many of them refuse to go to the shelter. So all you do is you take the encampments down. All right, the optics improve. But the people, they just continue to walk around. You may have seen, Andrew, when they took down those first encampments under the BQE, I knew many of the emotionally disturbed and homeless. They're still there. They're just walking around now. They've moved on to other neighborhoods. They, they don't just magically, boom. Disappear. They don't magically get on a Greyhound bus and go back to the city of their birth, their state of origin. They're here, and we have to deal with them. And in the next hour, Andrew, I'm going to specifically talk about the emotionally disturbed because I met uh, a young man earlier today. I'm going to tell you his circumstance, and I'm also going to speak about the criminal justice system and all the craziness of people being released, having nothing at all to do with uh, no cash bail. By the way, Andrew, you live in Staten Island? Right. Got to come out. Got to come out to the uh, opening night 
for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Uh, you know, they were they owned and operated by our boss here, John Katsimatidis. They have this woman they just signed up, Kelsey Whitmore from Southern California, Cal Fullerton. She, I, I believe, I, I you know, I watched her on ESPN. I had no idea that uh, John was going to sign her up to play with all the guys. This woman is as good as any man. In fact, I think back, Andrew, thinking of the Yankee season, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, right? Back-to-back, belly-to-belly. They went on a traveling road show around the country in the offseason. They were in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, the minor league club there played against them, and they had an 18-year-old woman pitcher who was on the team. She struck both of them out. This woman has that kind of ability. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe opening night is next week. Uh, I got to check. Uh, but you all, whether you're in Staten Island or not, you got to come out to the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks opening night. Uh, I'm going to be there. I know a whole bunch of us from WABC are. I hope you'll be out there. Bring the kids. I mean, this is affordable, good time, old-fashioned baseball in which you're going to see for the very first time playing a professional game. Kelsey Whitmore was just signed up by the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, and I'm telling you from everything I've seen on ESPN when she was pitching for Cal Fullerton, softball and hardball, uh, she's uh, – uh, ambidextrous in that sense. This woman can strike out guys. <laughs> this woman can strike out guys. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Victoria calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Victoria. Hi, Curtis. Yes, Victoria. I have, an, I have a name for your show. Oh, Madonna, my, another name, another name. These names keep coming up. Uh, we had 382 uh, suggestions, Victoria. This is 383. Oh, okay. The better, the better side of, of midnight. Oh, the better side. Yeah, oh, because look. Because you think you're better than Frank Morano. And he thinks he's better than me. You're, you're both good. Yes. But I think he's a little bit better. Oh, that's in, well, she, he's a much better interviewer. There's no doubt about that, Victoria. Uh, okay. He, in fact, uh, Anderson Cooper on occasion is loaned out from CNN to do interviews for 60 Minutes. He was spotted uh, recently in downtown New York uh, interviewing Eric Adams uh, for a future 60 Minutes piece. And I understand that our own Frank Morano might be a guest interviewer because of the amazing interviews he's done. Uh, he actually, the best of the other side of Midnight, uh, is on right after me and Anthony Weiner on Saturdays. The guy's breathing down my neck, 4 o'clock to 5 in the afternoon. And they're really good interviews. Uh, but his best was Roger Stone. Uh, it was award-winning. Uh, and then Paul Manafort, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. And it went viral. And, in fact, it was so good that YouTube actually took WABC off their channel uh, because of the Roger Stone interview. And management here and ownership actually circled the wagons in support of Frank Morano. He is the golden child. He is untouchable. He can do no wrong. He is what they call the future of talk radio. But guess what? I'm the here and now. Of Talk Radio. 1 800 848 9222. Let's go to Harriet and Cheap Bay. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Harriet. 
Hey, you're the best. I voted for you. I love you. Thanks, I love Nancy. Thanks. My mother's name was Nancy. <laughs> oh, by the um, way, you don't want to miss it. At 11 o'clock, we've been bumped up an hour because Dominic Carter comes on 12 midnight now. Monday's uh, Sunday's going into Monday. We do the animal welfare hour from 11 to 12 in just uh, another hour and 15 minutes. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, um, Curtis, uh First of all, I don't believe in vaccinations. It seems that these vaccinations um, weaken your immune system. And I, I had the COVID. I went through it, and um, I got the antibodies, and uh, I can take this. Uh, the thing is that uh, these uh, vaccinations, which are re- re- really gene therapy, um, they weaken your immune system. And, and some of them are so strong that the body reacts to it, and they will not produce the proper antibodies when the variants come at at you. So um, there's a problem with that, and I believe all these people who were laid off, these thousands of people, it's very, very, very unfair. In the private sector, in the municipal sector, they should get their jobs back, especially since the poor uh, mayor uh, was vaccinated and, and got it, which proves the fact that you can be vaccinated from here till kingdom come and you're going to get it. It's here to stay. Uh, that was a bioweapon that was developed by Fauci. Uh, he financed um, the Wuhan lab through Echo Alliance, and uh, there was all kinds of shenanigans going on. The bat virus itself is not transmissible. It's when it was cut with the AIDS gene, it made it transmissible. And this... Uh, well, oh, Harry, Harry, let me ask you a question. Slow down. Yes, Slow yes, down. Yes. It is like, man, you're like, whew. You're like, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting vertigo. You're taking me in all these different directions. Harry, you have chosen not to get the vaccine, correct? I worked as a writer for that company no, years no, ago. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, but, but look, your choice, you've chosen, you know... What the pluses and minuses of that kind of choice are. You're a very educated woman. It's, you, you've just shown that in a few minutes. Uh, so I, I side with you. I say, look, uh, I might encourage you to get the vaccine. I might encourage you to get the booster. But you've made a decision that you think is in your best interest. And you are absolutely right, Harriet. These civil servants, and I've been with them at many of their rallies. And you want to cry. They have chosen for a variety of reasons, some of it religious, some of it, look, they don't trust the government. Shocking! They don't trust our government, Republicans or Democrats, because I don't. And they've, made, they've taken a stand, and you've got to understand, they haven't been paid. So when they were put up on the shelf, suspended, pending a final determination as to what their fate would be, there was no money, no unemployment. They couldn't seek other employment. They have nothing. They put everything on the line. These are men and women who have served our city valiantly, whether the cops or firefighters or sanitation uh, workers, MTA workers, and especially in the medical field, the hospital workers and everyone who crawled into the belly of the beast, March of 2020, remember, we didn't know people were dying of COVID. They, too, were dying of COVID. They were bringing COVID back to their families. And yet every day they showed up, there was no PPE. There were no masks, no vaccines. And yet every day they showed up to work. And remember at night, 7 o'clock, yay, yay, heroes. And then all of a sudden, because some of them would not take vaccines, zeros. 
And I've gotten to know many of them personally because both during the campaign and after the campaign, uh, I've been at uh, many of their rallies, and I see grown men and women break down and cry. How am I going to take care of my family? I'm losing my pension. Everything. But they so believe it's their choice. So now that the mayor has... uh, Uh, caught a variant of COVID, although he seems to be handling it well. Uh, But he will be be in hibernation, so to speak, uh, for the next week. He'll be doing different things by Zoom, but he will not be making public appearances, which is the proper thing to do. It makes his argument even harder to say to those heroes, you're fired, and I'm not going to rescind that order. I'm not going to bring you back. I'm not going to restore your pay. Uh, it's unimaginable. And then to see Aaron Judge, I look, I'm a Yankee fan. I despise this guy. He was offered $225 million in an extended contract, and the Peacock boy strutting around there saying, I don't need no freaking vaccine, and guess what? I'm not going to take $225 because I'm better than that. Really? Like every year you're injured, pal. I don't know if you're roiding up and beating the test, but you're always pulling quads and muscles. I mean, Mickey Mantle in his prime never had these kind of problems. And then to know that Kyrie Irving is running around playing basketball, a kid's game. In the meantime, if you work uh, in this, the private sector or you're a civil servant, you had to have been vaccinated. What an out, un, outrageous double standard. Roll them all back. Roll them all back. Let Kyrie play. Let Aaron Judge play. Let people go back to work in the private sector, the civil sector. Let's restore our heroes. Give them back pay and restore dignity. Forget the money. My father was a big union guy years ago, the National Maritime Union, and they'd go out on strike, and they would not cross another picket line, and he'd lose a lot of money because of that. He said, Dad, why wouldn't you want to cross the Longshoreman's uh, line? He said, well, first off, I don't want a pick in my back, because that's how the Longshoreman used to handle scabs, so to speak. But second off, these men striking for dignity. It was the first time I heard that. And then he told me that many, many times. This is about dignity. When I saw these men and women crying with their children, imagine that the children saw them crying. All they want is their dignity back. Sure, sure, they need a job. Sure, they need the back pay. Sure, they got bills that are just drowning them. But it reminded me of what my father told me at the dock when the ship was tied up, when he had to go on strike, when he told me and my sisters and my mother, guess what? It's Prince Spaghetti night every night, although for us it's Ronzoni Sonoboni, with no uh, marinara sauce, a little butter sauce. That's it. We sucked it up. And he said, this is about dignity. When all is said and done, it's not about the money. Not about the pension. As important as those things are, it's about the worker's dignity. I will never, ever forget those words till the day I die. And let's face it, at the rate I'm going, that could be any day. Probably by a yellow cab. Not somebody shooting me. uh, Not some kind of crime situation I'm involved with. But a freaking yellow cab. 1-800-848-9222. 
Let's go to Leonardo calling from Essex County in New Jersey. Uh, which part of Essex County, Leonardo? I'm actually from, uh, I know, I say Essex County, Curtis. By the way, thank you so much uh, uh, for that great hat. We talked before, and uh, people are trying to steal my hat, and they want to offer me money for the WABC Guardian Angels hat, but I'm not letting it. I love it. I go to whoa, the whoa, 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 hold on, Jack. So you won the hat. There are many of the shows where people call up and they may no, answer. No, no, you. You, you sent it to me. Yeah, no, no. Well, it wasn't me. I mean, come on, Leonardo. It was the oh, station. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's Red Apple Media, our parent company, uh, John and Marco Katsimatidis, who subsidize it. If it was me, I'd send you my belly button lint, a COD, cash on delivery. You'd have to pay for it. But you like the hat, right? It's, it's something that everybody can get on their own. They go to the merch. They go to WABCradio.com. They see all the merch that's available but, Leonardo, you're telling me people are trying to snatch that hat? Oh, yeah, the veteran. I go to the American Veterans Hall, and the, and the older uh, veteran guys, they love it. You know what I mean? Everybody loves you in Jersey. I, it's You know, I do understand the New York politics enough to know why it was so difficult for you to be mayor. But as far as I'm concerned, you should be president for life of New York State. Oh, no, no, no. President president of WABC, the fan club, because uh, I identify with you, the listeners, Leonardo. Uh, I've told our management, our ownership here, that per person, per percentile, most of our listeners are from New Jersey. And I think the stats, the analytics back me up. Our most loyal listeners are from Camden County to Hudson County, along the Jersey Shore, to the West and Sussex. That's why I make it a point, Leonardo, if you notice, I talk a lot about Jersey issues because I know when when it's pertinent to an overall discussion, I always integrate Jersey history, Jersey stories, because so many of our listeners, although they may not have been birthed in Jersey, they may have been birthed uh, in uh, Philadelphia or New York City and then uh, ended up moving to Jersey, which, you know, Leonardo means next stop, Florida, Georgia, or North Carolina. But well, I'm going I'm going to see that nice Italian governor, Heavy D, Ron DeSantis. Oh, oh. <laughs> he is so good. Uh, Leon, uh, DeSantis, a lot of people don't realize. They figure, oh, he must have grown up in Miami. No, no, no. He grew up in cattle country. A lot of people don't realize there are a lot of He's cattle, boy. right, in northern, boy. in northern Florida. It's a big cattle area. He grew up in the cattle area. He didn't grow up in an urban area. Uh, he's got a lovely wife. Uh, he's right in your face. I'd say he's a combination of uh, former President Donald Trump and Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie. <laughs> he's, he, Chris Christie couldn't kiss his shoes. Chris Christie. Christie is such a hamper. Although, although, hey, look, 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 I, I've been at odds with Chris Christie. He's taken a good position on what they're trying to do in the public school system in Jersey, which is start discussing sexuality, gender identification in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. To his credit, Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie has said no to that. And residents in New Jersey, they've got to unite and say, no, no, no. You want to do it a few years later? Got it. No problem. But in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third, we didn't have sex education, Leonardo, until junior high school. And we had a tough time putting that condom on the Chiquita banana, right? 
Oh, yeah. Well, I went to a Catholic school that's a couple of feet away from where I'm calling you, uh, Holy Family Parish. And we never had I'm around your age and we never had any sex education. I kind of worked that out for myself with my parents. And uh, I've been happily married for 37 years plus. And uh, my my good wife wants to give you a shout out. She says, Sydney, she's too shy. But Elizabeth, she wakes me up to make sure we listen to your show. Oh. And we got to listen a lot to your show so I can fall asleep before uh, uh, Frank Morano comes on. Oh, right no, up. he's coming on tonight right after Dolly Carter. Carter's on 12 to 1, and then it's Frank Morano the other side of midnight, 1 to 5 for the next five days. Although, on Good Friday, I'll be substituting for Frank because he's a good Catholic. Boy, I think. I think he's Catholic. I'm not sure anymore. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. That's what happens in the streets, in the subways in New York City. Jump around. Jump around. And uh, we're going to be discussing what to me is the most important unanswered problem that nobody seems to have a handle on. The emotionally disturbed persons in our streets, our subways, our parks, and in our homes. Oh, yeah. One one out of every four workers now reports that they have some major mental health issues, and I don't think that's an inflated number. Uh, I think this is probably the one area that I've really developed an expertise on. And in fact, I'm going to tell you of a uh, case that I just dealt with because the kind of broadcasting I do is a little unique. I'm always taking what's happening in the streets Right on up to the sweet seer of WABC. But first, uh, I heard that promo for Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk. It was a great promo uh, as they were talking about how people are not coming back from Florida to New York uh, or New Jersey or Connecticut or even Pennsylvania. They're just not. It used to be they went down there for the winters uh, and they came back uh, in the spring, the summer and most of the fall. It's not happening anymore. Although I was pleased to see that the mayor, in advance of his 100th day in office, did call in to Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg on Friday morning. Uh, I didn't have a chance to hear it initially. I was dealing with uh, one of my son's matters in school. Uh, but I did listen to it on the podcast. You should all go to WABCRadio.com. That's WABCRadio.com. It was an excellent interview. lasted about 10 to 12 minutes. It was a give and a take. Obviously, he had to show respect. Uh, Eric Adams is the mayor. Uh, but it was uh, really enlightening. Very enlightening. Obviously, this is much before 
uh, the mayor, who earlier in the day announced that he was diagnosed with a variant of COVID-19 and will, for cautionary reasons, uh, be hibernating this week. He'll be uh, communicating by Zoom. Uh, It hasn't debilitated him, uh, but pretty much for the week, he's canceling his public schedule, which is a good thing. Although it's going to cause uh, him a lot of issues when he talks on this issue as somebody who's had COVID. It will help in one way because now he's actually had it for the first time. But in another way, uh, the naysayers are going to say, wait, you were vaccinated. You had boosters. You're healthy. You have a vegetarian lifestyle. Uh, You're drinking those protein drinks and everything. And look at you. You even came down with it. And it really comes down to what Boris Johnson said. The crazed prime minister of the U.K. with the hair going in a million directions because, you know, <laughs> he uses that goop in his hair. And it ain't brill cream a little dabble, do you? But as he was there in the Kiev in the Ukraine with Zelensky walking around, no mask. Ukraine is the hot spot also for COVID-19 because only 30% of the people have actually been vaccinated. And you know the conditions they've been forced to live in, which is makes it a breeding ground for all the variants of COVID. Uh, but he said something a few weeks ago that resonates. And remember, he was on a ventilator. He was almost gone from the initial wave of coronavirus. And uh, he was so out of control, he was having parties Right there at 10 Livingston Street, if you've ever, uh, 10 Downing Street, if you've ever been in London like I've been, you go to 10 Downing Street, you look at it and say, oh my God, it looks like a bunch of row houses together. It's really not very impressive, but he, they were having parties in the backyard, in the Rose Garden, ha! in the middle of the pandemic and the lockdown. He almost lost. He almost got put on the sideline permanently as prime minister because of that. And it's all sort of coming full center. But let's talk about this issue uh, that uh, nobody has a grip on and nobody seems to want to really learn about. By the way, uh, go to WABCRadio.com for all of your podcast needs uh, as you listen to the interview uh, that Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg had with Mayor Eric Adams Friday morning, excellent. Uh, regardless of what you thought of it, a lot of good information came out. Uh, you certainly want to uh, listen to the podcast involving a father and son. Uh, my son, Anthony, Anthony and Curtis. Uh, those are great podcasts. There's so many great podcasts, uh, of not, not just the normal shows you hear on WABC, but also the specialty podcasts that are being done coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. We're doing the Animal Welfare Hour, as we do each and every week for uh, uh, with uh, Nancy, my wife, who is an uh, animal rescuer, the best at the business of saving animal lives. And we'll be doing a special podcast in which we'll be bringing animals in. So you'll be able to watch and hear uh, simultaneously. That's coming up. But let's talk about this individual. Earlier today, there was a young man in his 30s, and he was having a psychotic disorder near the radio station. This is before I came on with Chris Hahn doing the left and right, and I chose not to talk about it because that's a national broadcast. Uh, In some places where that airs, a lot of people would have just no understanding. Those of you who are listening to this broadcast, even though we're heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, 
And even down to Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and Bahamas, that's how strong the 50,000 powerful watts of sound is. It is something we're living with here in America in our major urban areas. So whether it's uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, all of the places I have guardian angels, Chicago, uh, St. Louis, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Miami, Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, Boston. We can go on and on and on. And, of course, here in New York City, the emotionally disturbed who somehow uh, at times get lumped in with the, the homeless because they are homeless, too. But not all homeless people are emotionally disturbed. I know a lot of you are saying to yourself, well, if you were homeless living out in the streets in those encampments or living on the subway or living in a park, especially in inclement weather, you would have to be emotionally disturbed. Not always the case. We'll handle that in a different day. So this young man is having a psychotic disorder, and people were running away from him. And he discarded the few valuable possessions that he had in a bag. And he ran off. And he almost got hit uh, in traffic. And it was very frightening, no doubt for him himself, because he was imagining things that you and I can't see, but very frightening for the people in the surrounding area. So I was not able to pursue him because I recognized at that point if I ran after him, he would run into traffic. He would have gotten clipped by a car or a truck, and he might have been dead on arrival. So what I did was I grabbed his belongings because I knew that in these these meager belongings he had was a story about this man who is as important in life as any of us. Every human life is important. That's right, BLM, big, large mansions, better known as Black Lives Matter. All lives matter. So I was able to pick up uh, his uh, items here. And uh, it's interesting because he had a long, detailed uh, medical and psychiatric evaluation from Northwell Health, one of the many hospitals that they run. And, I mean, it told me everything about this guy. It's going to help me track him down uh, through his uh, psychiatrist and his medical practitioner. But they give a history of this guy. His name is Paul. He was residing in Astoria. I have, in fact, some of the bills. So for a while there, he was paying bills. Spectrum, uh, Con Ed. So he was paying bills. Now, I don't know how he was subsidizing it, if he had employment, uh, if it was Section 8. I have no idea. I'm going to find that out because I want to help this guy out uh, desperately. So he was uh, discharged. Uh, as a patient who, uh, looking at this, severe emotional disturbances from Elmhurst. Now, Elmhurst is a hospital, a city hospital in Jackson Heights, but it also has a psychiatric wing, as Kings County does, uh, as um, Jacoby does up in the Bronx, as Bellevue does. And I, I've been to those facilities. I've seen what goes on. Uh, I got to tell you, reporters out there, if any of you are listening, why you're not doing exposés of our psychiatric hospitals is beyond me. You can gain entry. Look, Geraldo Rivera did it in Willowbrook in Mid-Island years and years ago. It can be done, and it must be done, because government does not want you to see 
what goes on in these psychiatric hospitals, and they don't want you to see what goes on in these shelters. Many of them that are called MICA shelters. Now, a MICA shelter is unique because it deals only with those who are diagnosed as emotionally disturbed persons. They should not be in a shelter. They have to be hospitalized. This young man needs to be hospitalized. He was discharged from Elmhurst, the psychiatric division. And uh, his housing situation had been a private residence. We've established that with the bills that I see here. But his most recent place was at the Bellevue Men's Intake Shelter. I've been at the Bellevue Men's Intake Shelter. Uh, Jack Nicholson, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Need I say more? It is anarchy. It is out of control. Uh, First of all, if you have medications... Some of them are very strong medications and are like currency in the streets. You're going to get robbed of your medications in the shelter if they can be utilized by people who have various drug addictions. So this guy went from having a residence to having now a case manager who I'm going to get in touch with and some very severe, severe diagnoses of this guy. He should not be out in the street. It was obvious today he could have injured himself. He was a danger to himself and a danger to everyone else around him. So I'm looking at his medication chart, three pages long. This guy takes 14 medications a day, some of them more severe than others. Some of them he has diabetes. I can see from the names of the medications it's diabetes. But some of them definitely are psychotropic drugs. There's no other way of describing them. And then a lot of Percocet. And I don't know if any of you have ever had Percocet like I've had Percocet. That can affect your mental state of mind. Uh, When I was being operated on in Columbia Presbyteria for uh, severe chronic Crohn's disease, thank God uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis did an intervention. It was on... uh, uh, the uh, actual uh, the holiday in which there is a parade, Greek Independence Day, which uh, just passed, although I believe they're having their parade up Fifth Avenue on June 5th, which I'll be participating in. Hopefully all of you will be out there if they don't put us in lockdown because of this new variant. But when I was in Columbia Presbyterian, they were giving me all kinds of painkillers, fentanyl, Percocet, Vicodin, and I wasn't handling the Percocet well at all. In fact, I put my fist through the wall. People were running out of my room. Ah, they had to call my wife, Nancy, bring her in the room. She was the only one who could calm me down. And Nancy said to the doctors, look, he's really not handling this Percocet, right? He may end up breaking up this hospital. Maybe you should give him medical marijuana. And the doctor said, we can't do that. It's against federal law. She said, wait a minute, a little candy, medical marijuana. Maybe it'll suppress the pain because he also has no appetite whatsoever maybe to inspire that uh, wish we could it would be a better way of dealing with this but we're not permitted to because there are laws against that and we don't want to lose our license we're starting to move in the direction of changing that in terms of medical marijuana and obviously it's on the move in terms of dealing with uh, the legalization uh, of uh, recreational marijuana in fact that's where the mayor Ed, eric adams was yesterday in albany at a, a group of seminars 
that were designed to start training people to open up their own stores where they'll be licensed to sell recreational uh, use for marijuana uh, in places uh, throughout the five boroughs and throughout New York State. So in my hands is the life psychiatric history and the medication that this young man in his 30s receives, who just a year ago was residing in an apartment in Astoria. Uh, that's a high rent district, anybody who lives in Astoria. And his most recent residence was the Bellevue Shelter. If you didn't have emotional issues or psychiatric issues, spend a few days at the Bellevue Men's Intake Shelter, and you will. And 14 medications. That's why you have to have individual relationships with these emotionally disturbed persons because it doesn't fit one size, does not fit all these emotionally disturbed persons, and they are everywhere. And they're all our children to an extent. All lives matter. That's right. Big, large mansions, black lives matter. All lives matter. And I think more so than anybody else's life, the emotionally disturbed, because they've lost control of their mental faculties. There are ways we can help them. Medicine can help them, but it has to be monitored. They need to be in a lockdown situation. I've been in Creedmoor in northern Queens. There's only 50% occupancy. Uh, That's a state uh, hospital. Uh, Staten Island Psychiatric, which is near Father Capadonna Boulevard. It's only about 40% occupancy. There are more wild turkeys outside than there are patients inside. And then, of course, you have a situation, Kirby Psychiatric, that's for the criminally insane on Randall's Island, only 30% occupancy. Now, that's those are state facilities, Governor Hochul has got to open up these facilities for more intake patients because breaking up encampments or chasing the homeless around, some of who are emotionally disturbed persons, all it's going to do is move them from place to place, and they're never going to be able to control the demons, the demons that consume them. They have crawled into the belly of the beast. They are in Dante's Inferno. You don't understand, ladies and gentlemen. I have known so many of them studying their lives. At one point, they were sane. They were sober. They were in control of their lives. Something happened or a series of events, or maybe it was a drug that they were taking that caused them to have these psychotic disorders. But again, it goes back to my father, Chester, a merchant seaman for 55 years, used to take me down to the Bowery in the 60s. That was Skid Row. That's where, quote, the bums were, right? Or as they call them, the vagrants. I don't call them bums and I don't call them vagrants. They are human beings as my father would take me from man to man, many of them laying out in the streets. Uh, Wasn't so much drugs and alcohol. Uh, wearing soiled clothes, mumbling to themselves with all kinds of disorders. He told me the histories of some of these men who had sailed with him and told me what had emotionally broken these men. And he said to me, Curtis, there, by the grace of God, go you. Don't ever make fun of these people. These people are lost souls. They need our help. And it always stuck with me. And a lot of people will say, why do you have such great relationships with these emotionally disturbed persons? 
because they're human beings. I'm not suggesting that all of you go out and have conversations with them. It can be extraordinarily dangerous if all of a sudden they're in the midst of a psychotic disorder. But that's how we have to be treating them. Coming up, I'm going to relate to you a situation in the criminal justice system that has nothing to do with no cash bail. But it's symptomatic of what's happening in our criminal justice system that's turning violent criminals loose into our streets, killers loose into our streets on a regular basis. But in the meantime, let's go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Cat, who's calling from Ipswich, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Cat. Curtis, I, I'm like, I'm like, after what I just heard you talk about, I'm like, I don't even know if I should talk about what I was going to call about it, which was about the COVID. No, 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 that's and, imp- that's important because remember, these emotionally disturbed persons and homeless, they get that too. Exactly, exactly. But you know, unfortunately, my father who was like 79 years old and he my, both my parents got the covid like 2 weeks in like April April early they got the two they got the covid and unfortunately my father didn't survive cuz he had he had like a lot of respiratory issues oh sure my mother who was like 4 years older than him and she she was healthy as an ox and she has the alzheimer's healthy healthy no problem but what you were talking about recently about you know People like what your father said to you. When I grew up in uh, Malden, Massachusetts, we were part of a Catholic church. And one time, I remember specifically, it was like the he was part of like St. Vincent de Paul, which, you know, if people needed food, they would like go and like assess the situation and give them food. And this was like in like the 70s. And one time they called my dad and they're like, and they they always had to go with somebody else, but nobody was around. So he asked me to go with him, and I did. And I was like in grade school, so it was like Thanksgiving. So we go to this family, and you know he, my father has all the food for Thanksgiving, and we go to the house and we look at the house, and we're like, they have they have animals, they're smoking, they're drinking, and you know when I left the house, and I said, Dad. I don't understand why they called you. Like, like, why did they need food if they're, like, smoking and drinking? And he goes, you know, Kathleen, you know, sometimes people make certain decisions, and, like, you know, they still need help. Oh, you're so correct. Your father. You know what I mean? No, no, your so, father was so on point because some of us, we write people off because we say, Kat, we say— we, we, we say, why, why? They're dysfunctional. They're a hot mess. They made their own bed. Let them sleep in it. Well, guess what? Uh, if we don't help them deal with their problem, their problem becomes our problem. It could be that person who pushed you into a moving subway car. It could be that person who came into a store and just attacked you randomly or just started uh, shoplifting in order to support their habit. It goes on and on. It has to be addressed. And we have to put full focus. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, how many times our elected officials have uh, claimed that they have conversations with God? You know, it's Palm Sunday today. So I was in church. I got my palms. You know, I'm an A.M.P. Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. You don't see me for a month of Sundays. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to have a conversation with God. Maybe I don't have his right number. You know, maybe he's changed his number. 
Why, why don't you talk? Oh, I had a conversation with God the other night. Really? Could you share that number with me? Oh, special, you know, special. I don't know if they were imagining conversations with God. All I can tell you is that it's God-like work, selfless service. Uh, the mayor was taking down the encampments, and a lot of people cheered him. And They have to be taken down. Uh, they're a source of, of a lot of problems, but you have to have a, a place for them to go. So I always think of Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa and her nuns who were so chaste. By the way, Albanian, Albanian Mother Teresa. I never had a chance to go to Calcutta. I would have loved to have seen her and the nuns uh, amongst the lepers, in leper colonies. Hey, by the way, no masks, no gloves, no PPE, okay? But I did see, not her, but her nuns in a convent in the South Bronx, tending to the drug addicts, tending to the emotionally disturbed, tending to the uh, homeless, real selfless servants. Most of them were from India. Most of these women had joined uh, her order uh, and were there to serve the people, not just in India, who are desperately in need of it. I've been there uh, from Bombay to Pondicherry to Madras. Oh, my God. The poverty there. I mean, nothing here is comparable. But they're there doing selfless service. And then I heard the mayor say, you know, uh, I'm like the apostles, Matthew, you know, uh, taking down the encampment. No, no. First off, <laughs> no politicians, Republicans or Democrats, are doing anything that's godlike or, or related to the apostles, especially as we approach Easter. The whole nature of politics is that you're not doing it for selfless service. You're doing it to serve yourself and serve everybody else who is supportive of you first and foremost. That is not godlike. But as we go right through Good Friday and Easter and uh, go through Pesach, Passover, is to think about all these people who are so desperate for help. We can give them that help. But one thing it requires, patience. You have to have extraordinary patience, like you do with your children and your grandchildren. Let's go to David and Comac real quick. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Curtis, you know, the other night, which was when last night, actually, early this morning, I'm on the subway to number six downtown. You got people put, smoking pot on the subway. Oh, yeah. On the on the platform, I should say. And oh, yeah. then um, inside the subway car going downtown, you could smell diesel fumes inside the car. And I'm not the only one because I talked to one of the passengers while I'm on the six or five train downtown, and they're telling me they smell the same thing. It's two weeks in a row. Well, David, I, I got to tell you, uh, taking the subway, uh, and it's been this way for quite some time, and it's a, an attack on all your senses, your sm the smells, uh, people are lighting up marijuana, and they're doing puff, puff, pass there, and they don't care who's around. They're not doing it out in the open, out of sight, out of mind. They're just uh, defiantly just smoking it in your face, sometimes blowing it in your face. The smells in the subway system itself, it's decaying. It's the result of uh, the human smell, the deterioration. And then in the subway cars, uh, just not being cleaned like they were during the lockdown and pandemic when they were being taken out of service to get deep cleaned. I realize uh, we can't go back to that. That was far too expensive. But it's an attack on your senses. And, David, 
I'm sure you reached a point where you felt like if I could if I could go go another way, I'm not taking the subway, right? Yeah. Well, the problem with that is that the construction on the Queensboro Bridge. It's it's a nightmare if you if you do the upper roadway or the lower roadway. Oh, for the bike lane. Well, yeah, a bike lane's being put on the on the upper <laughs> roadway. <laughs> the freaking bike lane. Off entire lane, uh, <sighs> and I'm assuming it's going to be a bike lane because of everything else. Yes. By the way, I think I mentioned to you the other day. I said the way to deal with the homeless problem is. You stop dumping money into the bike lanes and start dumping it into affordable housing or low-cost yeah. low housing. I, I, I would completely agree when you go over the Brooklyn Bridge now, got a lane for bicyclists. And then they wonder, wait a second, this is not good you know, for global warming because cars are now idling, burning more fossil fuel as they're tied up in traffic. It's endless. I have a rule of thumb. If you've had a bike lane put in for a year, if you use it, hey, that's great. You get to keep it. If you haven't used it, like so many bike lanes, you never see anybody there, not even a delivery guy, you lose it. That's common sense. 1-800-848-9222. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey Take a walk on the wild side Oh, classic Lou Reed I don't know if he uh, If he actually had the spike in his arm At the time he sang this in the Lower East Side But he was Hardcore dope fiend Back in the days when it was the Alphabet Jungle Avenues A, B, C, and D. And there were drugs being dealt everywhere, empty buildings, base heads hanging out of the window, who would be freebasing cocaine, people shooting up. And I saw all of that because I was on Avenue A in St. Mark's Place right before Tompkins Square Park. And many of you saw the images of the homeless being removed from Tompkins Square Park by the mayor's orders, by the police and sanitation department. And it's important. You don't want people living like they were living because it becomes uh, just a place where people are using needles, swapping needles, shooting heroin, shooting fentanyl, people with emotionally disturbed issues, but they have to have a place to go. And... Tompkins Square Park has been a place where many of them have lived for many years, in and out. This goes back, way back, to David Dinkins. David Dinkins, uh, there were anarchists there. They were having riots. So David Dinkins set up a fence, and there was a curfew, and they locked the fence, a high fence. It was like uh, 15 feet up all around the park. And it actually saved my life because in in April of 1992, when the mob was after me, the Gambinos, their first attack on me was with baseball bats. 
And I got hit about 32 times. I can remember it like it was yesterday. There was McLaughlin, the Irish guy, wielding that baseball bat. Kaplan, the Jewish guy. I guess he didn't spend enough time at Peru College, uh, you know, studying economics. And then, of course, there was Ruggiero. And they, like, clubbed me like I was a seal on the ice. And if I hadn't been able to run across the street, jumping over cars, avoiding getting hit in the head... I scurried up the fence, I fell over to the other side, and I actually said a prayer thanking David Dinkins for that fence. Or they probably uh, would have killed me right there because they certainly wanted to do that. But Tompkins Square Park has had an incredible history. I remember walking through there, and they had an atrium right there, outdoor atrium. They were growing pot outdoors. And the cops at the Ninth Precinct said to me, what do you want us to do? Harvested, huh, Sliwa? That ain't our job. Talk to the sanitation department. Talk to the parkies. I said, the parkies, they'll pick it, they'll roll it, and they'll smoke it. It's just the way it's always been. But there is an individual who is infamous now, who spent so many days, so many weeks, so many years in Tompkins Square Park. Uh, Call her Harvey. And boy, that's the bad side. She has a double personality. Harvey is the male that she identifies with, although anatomically she is a male. But she takes great umbrage when you call her Harvey because she knows that's the mean side of her. Marceline is the female side of her in which she gets along with women and men. And in fact, she called herself the queen of Tompkins Square Park. She's murdered three times. She's 83 years old. Call her Harvey, call her Marceline, it's the same person. She has two different personalities. And we talk about the no bail, no cash bail system. This woman, this woman never had to face bail at all. It was the improprieties of the judges sentencing her and following up on her case. 83 years old, and she's killed for the third time. And she's done prison time for the other two. And you say, how can this be, Curtis? You would have thought they would have locked her up. Triple life without parole. She was in Attica in the 1971 riots. Attica, Attica. You remember you saw that, right? What was that? Uh, uh, That film about the bank robbery, remember, with Pacino there? Attica, Attica. She was in Attica. She goes way back. She admitted to a parole board in 1997 that she had problems with women. And so one of them said, you mean because you like to kill women? Yeah, that too. And then she extrapolated for like a half hour all the problems that she's had with women. Let me take you back to 1963 when she identified herself as Harvey. Because remember, at times she identifies as Marceline, a woman. At other times, she's Harvey. So she was in an apartment in Harlem and shot her girlfriend in the hallway with a thirty-two caliber gun three times, dead on arrival. She was arrested. She went before a judge. Uh, She was given lifetime incarceration with an opportunity for lifetime parole. So you would have figured back then she's never getting out, right? She, he, depending on what day it is, uh, how she, she not only got out, she said to herself, I can't believe 
that I'm getting out of jail. This was in 1985. Then all of a sudden, a year later, she kills another woman and is sentenced to 6 to 12 years. And she says, well, this time I'm obviously in there for good. There's just no way that I'm ever getting out of there. Even though she had been on lifetime parole for the 1963 murder, she was denied parole for more than two decades for the second murder. And then she was filled with knockers when she was granted parole in 2019. She's already killed two women. No bail is involved here whatsoever. Judges cut her loose. And so she befriended a third woman. And see, she's in an elect, uh, electrified wheelchair in East New York where she was staying. And she goes into one of these dollar stores. And the attendant uh, processing her order said, ma'am, are you aware there's a woman's leg that is uh, right underneath your your wheelchair? She said, oh, yeah, I know. That was my girlfriend. What do you mean was your girlfriend? Well, as you can see, she's dead. How did she die? I killed her. And then she just rolled her way out of the dollar store. And guess what? Nobody reported her at the dollar store, but they have it all on film. And eventually, uh, through good gumshoe policing, cops ended up uh, coming to her location where she stayed. Naturally, we were subsidizing her, uh, her living. And she took them to a locker where she had all of the person's, this other woman's body parts. So three murders. She's on Rikers Island now. And she's talking about how she doesn't trust the lawyers who are representing her now. So she's going to represent herself pro se. This is what we're dealing with in our criminal justice system. Put aside all the arguments about cash bail, no cash bail. That's an important issue. But you got to understand there are cases every day of violent criminals who are being turned loose, who are surprised themselves, surprised themselves. I remember at the beginning of the lockdown in the pandemic, it was in Brooklyn. Eric Gonzalez is the failed district attorney there. In fact, if you get busted with a gun, right, first time busted with a gun, you don't go to jail. They bring you in for cookies and milk every week uh, with a therapist. You have remediation, they call it. What's wrong with you? Why did you feel the need to carry a loaded 9-millimeter gun, right? You don't go to jail. And as long as you show up, everything's copacetic. So naturally, you're thinking, oh, my God, I got caught by the police, 83rd Precinct, with a loaded 9-millimeter gun. I'm gone. Used to be a year in jail, the minimum. They don't go to jail in Brooklyn. So you wonder why Brooklyn leads in the violent crime, although the Bronx is like neck and neck with them. And this woman finally gets arrested. And even though she's 83 and identified, you got to imagine you're a correctional officer and you're coming to check up on either Harvey or Marceline because she's got a split personality. Do you first call her Harvey What do you call her Marceline? So she tells the correctional officers, when I'm having a good day, I'm Marceline. When I'm having a bad day, I'm Harvey. Stay out of my way because I might kill you. What is a correctional officer supposed to do? 
Now, she can't be put into solitary confinement, which is the bing, because that's considered inhumane and cruel. So this correctional officer has to worry about an 83-year-old man, anatomically a man who identifies as a woman, Marceline, and has to worry that on one of those days, he'll discover his real self, Harvey, and try to strangle the correctional officer. This is what we're dealing with more and more. There's a case of David Rakowitz, uh, who used to come to my house on Avenue A in St. Mark's Place. He would hang out in Tompkins Square Park. He had a rooster. The guy was insane in the brain. Uh, He had a girlfriend who, believe it or not, was a ballerina, a well-established ballerina. Why she was with him, I'll never know. And he ended up killing her in his bathtub. And he actually ended up taking her remnants and sprinkling them throughout Tompkins Square Park. He said he was fertilizing the flowers. And he would come over when people were totally upset with him because the cops said the Ninth Precinct wouldn't deal with him because he was truly an EDP. Uh, they would all say, why don't you go talk to Curtis? He talks to emotionally disturbed persons all the time. I can remember talking with this guy, Rakowitz, for hours as he had the rooster on his shoulder, and he was, he was going through his entire life, and I was sedating him and quieting him down. Turns out he gets arrested, and they say, hmm, we can't try him because he's emotionally disturbed. He needs psychiatric care. So they sent him to Kirby, right there on Randall's Island, Kirby Psychiatric. They said he's better. They were ready to release him. I said, no, no, a thousand times, no. He's going to kill again. So right now, he's in Kirby Psychiatric under the theory that he is a continued danger to society. Any minute this guy could be released. He's no longer in the criminal justice system. He's under psychiatric care, although the shrinks have said he's okay. Who do you think would know better? Curtis, who sat with this guy for hours while he had the rooster on his shoulder after he had uh, dismembered his girlfriend in the bathtub, a high-profile ballerina, and then sprinkled her remains throughout Tompkins Square Park? You think maybe I got a better handle on this than some of the shrinks who were going to cut him loose? And he would have been in Tompkins Square Park when the mayor had the police and the sanitation department removing the encampments, he might have still been there with the 83-year-old Harvey Marceline, whatever it was the day he was identifying himself as male or female, who had already killed two of his girlfriends and eventually killed a third. This is like Dante's Inferno. 1-800-848-9222. That 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Max, who's calling from Fort Washington in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here. WABC, Max. Yes, honey. You know, I think you're great, but I think you're trying to paint a sympathetic picture of a group of people that most people don't have sympathy for. These guys, I'm on the MTA bus, Curtis, all night. These guys get on the bus, they piss, they poop, they use drugs. They spit at people, they harass, they panhandle, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't throw them off the bus. The police won't arrest them, and these guys should not be. And let me ask you something, Curtis. If you were sitting on a bus, and one of these guys came and sat right next to you and starts picking his feet, and, 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 and he's got poop running down his 
bat in his hindsight, what do you do? Well, Max, Max, Max you, nobody you, wants these guys around. They should be locked up. You are There's no sympathy for them. You are None. painting, you know, you're painting an accurate picture. You're not embellishing anything. You're you're telling the truth here. This happens not just on the city buses where you're an MTA bus driver, where you're like a, a new version of Ralph Cramden, except you can't do anything. Uh, or you could be a conductor or a motorman on a subway train, and the same thing exists. All I say to you, Max, is, and I understand your sympathy level is shot because you have to deal with these people every day, is there's somebody's son or daughter that isn't being dealt with by our government. Our government has more wealth in its system than any government in the world. And why aren't we putting them into mental health care hospitals and caring for their psychosis, Max? I think you would agree with that. No, I do agree, but I can't control that. So I think they should not be in the vicinity of productive people. People going to work, going to doctor's yeah, appointments. Yeah, no, no, I would agree. Going to school, they should not be in, even in the vicinity. Uh, they should not. My father used to say today's crackheads and, and, and heroin addicts and homeless and drug addicts are yesterday's potheads. So we got, they're going to keep coming because, well, you know, the potheads. I, yeah, I know, but they, they the, the assumption here is, Max, that if you're a pothead, you eventually start shooting drugs and you end up homeless or emotionally disturbed. You know, that would be like half the country. <laughs> you realize how many people use marijuana and are functional? I know, look, we love to uh, come to certain conclusions. You must judge people individually. During the campaign for mayor, I had suggested we reopen up Camp LaGuardia which had been opened up in the Depression by then Mayor LaGuardia, obviously one of the best mayors we've ever had, uh, he and Rudy Giuliani, probably the best ever. Uh, And Camp LaGuardia was for single, able-bodied men in the Depression. They didn't have jobs. Many of them were addicted to alcohol. Some of them had uh, difficult emotional issues to deal with. And they were sent up to Orange County. It was a farm. They had to grow their own food. They had to learn a craft. They had to dry out from their alcohol addiction. Some of them had drug issues, and they were not permitted to come back to New York City until they had a sponsor and employment because based on their skill level. So it would be the equivalent of if any of you have ever gone to Job Corp or what they refer to as Job Jail (laughs) because once you're there, you don't just get to walk off the compound. Uh, George Foreman, uh, that's where he developed his boxing skills, uh, he was a poor kid. He went to Job Corps to learn skills, and he learned the skill of boxing, and then eventually the George Foreman grill, and now he's rolling in dough. But the point is, Job Corps was good for many. We should have many Camp LaGuardias upstate New York. You go into the Appalachians. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing in the Appalachians. By the way, people have left central New York and west New York in groves. You could go through whole towns. It's like the Twilight Zone. You said, where did everybody go? Well, I can tell you now, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, and yes, Florida and parts unknown. Anywhere, but they've escaped from New York. Why wouldn't we open up Camp LaGuardia's? It's not a prison. It's a camp, right? When rich kids get into all kinds of problems because they're dysfunctional, they've been drinking too much or using drugs or they have some mental issues, what do they have? Outward bound. Send them to Montana where they can buck those Broncos. Send them to a Swiss chalet. You know, they can learn to ski. But we're not going to do that for people 
who cannot survive in this city because they're just bent on getting into more and more trouble because the demons surround them, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. There should be dozens of camp LaGuardia's upstate. Again, they're not prisons. Tell me what's working. Tell me what's working now. Is anything working now? The problem is just exacerbating, getting worse. Why don't we at least try a few Camp LaGuardia's? Oh, God forbid if we called one Camp Giuliani, there'd probably be demonstrations and riots. 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Padre Filio Spiritu Santum. Yes, one of the two days that I go to church. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. But coming up later in this week, Good Friday, it will not be Frank Morano. Uh, I believe he's observing uh, Good Friday. But I'll have an opportunity to engage all of you about how Catholics view Good Friday because they're totally into the crucifixion and Protestants are more into the resurrection. The Eastern Orthodox, hmm, they're a mixture of the two. Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, Romanian Orthodox, and of course the Greek Orthodox. And the Jews, you know, it's Passover, Pesach. And the Hindus, they nod their head and say, what the hell is going on with all of that? We got 400 gods and goddesses. Oh, you're not going to want to miss that. Oh, you are not going to want to miss that. Anyway, let's go to the phones. And it's John calling from Governor's Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, John. Curtis, as you know, we've talked before. I've listened to you for many years. And I think, and I'm not a nut, but I think God hears you. And he guides you in direction. I say that based on your actions and the good works that you do. Now, I want to jump back a little bit. When I was on the island, we used to go up to the meat market, and we'd carry up a carton of cigarettes, and we used to think the guy was giving us more steaks, more pork chops and all that. They were nice to us. But we used to pass a bar called Macabre. You remember that bar on the west side there going up, uh, not too far up, you know, uh, to where the meat markets were, the butchers? Oh, no, no, I know. And look, uh, most of those butchers are no longer there. That's a real high-rent district now. But uh, uh, you'd have to watch your back when you went into Magab's. Well, that's I understand that. And, you know, when we went by, we, I mean, we were so naive. I'm 71 years old, but we were so naive then. We didn't know anything about, we hear stuff. I don't want to get into it, but. We, we went by and we strained our eyes looking. We thought they were going to have horns or something. But I got one question, and I'll let you go. Thank you for taking my call. Do they still sell pizza slices at the Staten Island Ferry Terminal? God, you don't want to eat that, John. You'll die a thousand deaths. I'd rather, I'd rather if I, I hadn't eaten in 30 days and 30 nights, let's say, you know, for Lent, uh, you know, 40 days, 40 nights, I wouldn't eat that imitation cardboard pizza if my life depended on me, uh, myself, John. <laughs> Can you imagine just eating the food on a Staten Island ferry? 
<sighs> That's a fate worse than death. If you were starving, I'd rather jump off the Staten Island Ferry in the middle of the harbor and try to swim to Governor's Island or the port in Brooklyn or the North Shore of Staten Island than eat the food on the Staten Island Ferry. You'll glow in the dark at night if you survive. Anyway, let's go to Esther, who's calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Esther. Oh, God, see you, Curtis. So wish that you were in Eric Adams' place. We voted for you. You know, you channeled my, my, my late dad when you talked about Camp LaGuardia. He was a, he was a police officer in Bedside during some really rough times. He said exactly what you said, that they should reopen that area and utilize it for these people who really needed that kind of help. You do God's work, I'm telling you. And he also told another story about his cousin when they went through the Bowery with their little girl. She was about five years old. And one of the homeless people walked up to the father and said, look, ignore how I look, please, but get your little girl to the nearest hospital. And what had happened was she was getting blood poisoning, and he saw the red line going up her wrist, and the father took his word for it. Sure enough, they caught it just in time. So you're right. All lives are precious, and uh, but we gotta we got to get those well, things, Esther, so we got to keep Esther, especially safe. now with, yeah. uh, with uh, big, uh, large mansions, a.k.a. Black Lives Matter, that told us that only black lives mattered, not everyone's life. We can insist, Esther, that all lives matter. That's somebody's son or daughter. And many times, as you, you mentioned, Esther, you look at these homeless people, you assume their backgrounds uh, were, they were just dysfunctional. You'd be surprised at the number of people who had professional careers, who had good educations, and something happened to emotionally fracture them, to affect their psyche, their thought process, and they ended up getting swallowed into the belly of the beast. Now, I know for a lot of you out there, you're saying, Curtis is delusional. There's no way you can recover these people. You can, and that's that should all be part of the plan. It may not be your ability individually, but as a government, as the wealthiest nation in the world, we certainly should give it a try because they're lost souls. And we've got to rescue them, and there's so many ways to do it. Over the course of human history... There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. Wow. What an opening. Almost like an Academy Award winning performance, except uh, still, it remains, Nancy, that you have not been welcomed on to the Ark as Mrs. Noah. Well, I actually had my initial invitation earlier today, but then it was revoked because my my pass didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get you on board yet. I promise you this week we'll make that a priority. we got to change that promo because, remember, I'm not the expert on this. 
I, I'm a Johnny come lately uh, in uh, adapting uh, to animal welfare issues that, quite frankly, I think like most of our audience, I had really not ever given uh, serious thoughts to as you have uh, when you were birthed in uh, Greenpoint, as your mother explained to me, who lives out in Milford, Pennsylvania now, and then she brought the family out to Bohemia. And she explained that at a very, very young age, you were out there caring for dogs and cats and other animals uh, in Bohemia. Is that just something that came to you uh, like uh, when you were just a child? I mean, I, I, def- I would say I grew up as uh you know, we always had um, animals in the household, so I think that helps, you know, expose you to uh, being empathetic toward them. I was always a big fan of stuffed animals as a kid. Uh, that I think that helps too. But uh, my my mother actually, she worked uh, when I was young. She worked at an animal hospital, and when she had to do uh, any sort of like a weekend type of things, I would always go with her, and it seemed like such a like a great treat that I was able to go with her there because I could visit with all the uh, pets who were in the animal hospital who were in the, you know, the cages, the kennels, whether they were recovering from something or maybe ones that were going to be adopted out. But like as a kid, I think that, you know, really opened my eyes up to animals in general. And you like stuffed animals, right? Oh my gosh. I like them so much that I would actually, you know, have to make plans like, okay, which ones, are going to be able to to sleep on a bed at night because I felt bad if everyone couldn't stay there. Like, I mean, I actually assigned, like, person, like, I mean, as a kid, like, I actually thought they would feel bad if I wasn't, <laughs> like, they weren't there. Like, so, I mean, I think that really speaks volumes. Like, I literally thought they had feelings. Is that why uh, when I kick the bucket, because I'm like a cat with nine lives, I've used up eight of them, but assuming I kick the bucket before you because... I still don't know how uh, young you are, but some say uh, it could be my grandchild, never mind my my child. Uh, But you want to stuff me. Is this true? I mean, if it's it's an available option, I would absolutely be on board with it. Uh, I think that would be the the – I mean, I I don't know. I mean, and maybe it sounds a little crazy, but – I think it would be kind of great to, to continue to see you every day, personally. Well, well i got to tell you, it beats uh, what they did to Ted Williams. You know, they put him in an ice box and then chopped his head off. So I, I appreciate that I'd still be with the cats, <laughs> uh, except the cats would be running all over me as a stuffed item. Oh, and you'd have a lot of cat hair on you at that point, then. <laughs> all right, well, let's get down to it. Speaking of cats, I see in a recent survey, Nancy, it was determined that... Uh, Good-looking men and women tend to have cats and not dogs. Is this true, or was this just skewed? Well, this was what the study uh, sort of came up with, and I would have to say I believe it's true. I can't present full-out scientific evidence on it, but my experience would be yes, it's true. Right, so, so we would we would fit in that category, right? I mean, I would say so. I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> our, our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Then new survey says seven in ten people really do consider their dog their best friend in the whole world. You know, this was actually a really interesting uh, study that was done. So, you know, basically it's like a survey of uh, you know dog owners, uh, just specifically. And, you know, so they ask like a series of questions. 
Um, and seven in ten people do consider the dog their best friend, which I think is, uh, I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense in, you know, like if you look at it in terms of, you know, people are talking, like if you want to sort of uh, talk out your feelings or, you know, you come home from a, a hard day, it's like, let's face it, who's going to be there? It's like your pet's there and they're willing to hear it. They don't have their own problems, you know, except for feeding them, they're pretty much available to you. But there was like a couple other interesting um, sort of things they had within that study, which I thought was great. Um, so half of the dog owners take their dogs to a salon five times a year, which was less than the owners themselves would go to the, the salon. And then they had um, uh, 83% responded that they agreed that their children are taking care of their dog is equally as important as taking care of their children. And third, which I thought was really funny, was uh, most respondents recall bringing home their dog as one of the happiest days of their life, right? So it's not the day they got married or the day they, their child was born, or it's like, no, the day they brought their dog home. So I think that shows how much people prioritize their pets. And we've seen now story after story all over the world, whether third world country or first world country, that a person is hospitalized or unfortunately they die. The dog will wait outside of the hospital, won't go anywhere. If uh, the person who is caring for them dies, they will stay right by their side. They will not vacate at all. I mean, again, and there's there's a lot of um, animals, for instance. I mean, I see a lot of different stories like that, and especially the animals I see when they're on the kill list in the, the city shelters, when, you know, they give like the little bit of the, the back history to them, and when an owner has passed away and then the animal is there, I mean, that to me is probably got to be the most like traumatizing way for an animal to come into the shelter. You know, they've lost their, obviously, their parent, owner, and, you know, I would hope that family members would, you know, try to find a way to uh, so somehow incorporate that pet into their, you know, in their household in some way if possible. But, I mean, given that level of dedication, I mean, they consistently will be with that person even when, you know, the, the person is found outdoors. I mean, they stay with them, so... I think that level of camaraderie that they have, you know, showing that level of dedication. I mean, you know, these are really animals that you want to be especially uh, concerned with, you know, prioritizing, taking care of, make sure they find a good home going forward. Well, it's interesting, both with dogs, because I've had dogs and I've had cats. And that's true of dogs. There's no doubt about it. The dogs that I had would follow me to the ends of time except in one case when I rescued five people from a burning building when I was delivering the Daily News, 168 daily copies in Canarsie. I broke into this house where there was a fire, rescued these five people. My dog looked at me going into that smoke-filled building and ran all the way home and was shaking under the kitchen table when I eventually came home hours later. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. Dogs, um, you know, based on everything I know, they will follow their their owners until the ends of the earth. Uh, but again, obviously, they're put into a lot more precarious positions because they're so accustomed to being outdoors. You know, with cats, I mean, you know, the minute when people walk into our apartment, like they'll just 
duck for cover in the closet. I mean, they're they're a little different. Now, question here in reference uh, to uh, the role that animals play in someone's home. Uh, earlier today, when I had finished doing the overnight show from 12 midnight to 6, uh, another side of midnight, uh, when I came home, I saw that our cat, who's uh, fallen on hard times, because when you rescued him from the shelter, he had all kinds of problems, was actually resting on your shoulder trying to bring your high blood pressure down. Now, he'd never done that before. Did they instinctually know that? Uh, every Everything that I've um, read about their behavior, they absolutely have that ability to detect uh, changes in your health. So, I mean, there are animals who are so perceptive that they can um, perceive whether you have a very in-depth sort of ailment. But the reality is, let's face it, if they're with you every single day, they know your usual temperament and everything that goes along with their ability. Because, again, that's how they perceive, right? They're not uh, conversing with you, but they're picking up on every other type of clue, things that we're not uh, mindful of because we're, you know, we use words so often. But they base everything on all of these other elements of interactions with you. So... I think they have that ability to really see that. And uh, to your point, it's like Wolverine. Uh, he is a cat that has never been uh, that, you know, uh, engaging on that sort of level. And he absolutely has been. So um, I think he's picking up on something. One of the maladies that he has, I mean, it, it, when the vet came and diagnosed him, it was a list of so many maladies. They all sounded human in nature to me. Yeah, so so we initially had uh, uh, rescued him from animal care and control. He was on the kill list, and he was actually being quarantined because he was uh, brought in with a wound, and uh, when they have like a wound of unknown origin, that's how they describe it, uh, the idea is, you know, I guess, uh, planning for the worst-case scenario. So, in theory, the cat could have um, a, a rabies, something like that. So, uh, the suggestion is to quarantine the animal for a six-month time period. So, we, uh, you know, and we got all the information about uh, his status. But, unfortunately, when they did the testing, like one of the basic tests that you do is for... Uh, feline leukemia, uh, FIV, that's like the two main tests, and he came back negative, but it turns out that he was positive for um, what they describe as feline AIDS, Um, so he has an immune deficiency, uh, and that's what has caused uh, his decline in health. I mean, without knowing that, uh, you know, there was stuff we weren't planning for accordingly because he had come back with a clean bill of health in that respect. And so now we're just sort of trying to battle back from that. So like a human being who comes down with AIDS, animals, uh, in this case, uh, the cat could come down with AIDS? Yeah, I mean, and again, right, so this is one of the things about this particular type of designation that has been uh, something that has been so hardcore sort of pressed on is that previously when they had this initial designation, this was almost uh, a death sentence for a lot of the cats in the shelters because 
they assumed, oh, these cats can't make it, but that's not the case. What it means is that this cat uh, has a particular sort of uh, immune system that's compromised. So this cat isn't a threat to other cats. It's this cat that could be susceptible to other cats who have illnesses. So, for instance, you know, uh, you bring a cat in or a cat gets a cold in the household. I mean, most cats, they have a fine immune system. You know, they can be around another cat who who has a cold and it's not going to take them down but a cat who has uh, compromised immunity it becomes a much different issue and you know what we noticed with uh, Wolverine was that Wolverine became pretty much like the caretaker for all our other cats that we had so Wolverine was actually around a lot of cats especially when they weren't feeling well so again without this information um, you know I'm pretty sure you know, Wolverine was exposed to a little bit more than his immune system could handle. And and again, this is a pretty straightforward test. I mean, it's not something that you would necessarily be testing for multiple times. I mean, once you have it, but, uh, you know, again, it just goes to show that, you know, this is one of the reasons why sometimes uh, having, you know, can, you know, sometimes tests repeated or uh, having that sort of a yearly type of visit is so important because, I mean, this was just something that it could have easily been avoided any, you know, sort of exposure or maybe handling some of these issues. But, you know, you, you get the test results, you think, okay, we're fine. And it's like, there wasn't the case, unfortunately with him. Well, you know, just as uh, magic Johnson uh, years ago was diagnosed with AIDS uh, and had to take a barrage of medication in order to stabilize himself. And obviously he's uh, uh, had a great life uh, since he just couldn't go back to playing basketball uh, I noticed that Wolverine has to take medication also for the AIDS. Yeah, so um, pretty much at this point, uh, the medications that he takes, it's almost like a equivalent of, um, you know, like a sort of antibiotic on a different sort of level, but that's something that will have to be administered, um, you know, sort of uh, for the remainder of his life and not necessarily... Uh, the entire time, but periodically when there's a little bit of a, like, uptick in things going on. So, I mean, we had that, uh, you know, months ago, you know, there was an issue where he wasn't feeling well, and then he became better with that. And so, again, the assumption was it was a cold, upper respiratory infection, something like that. But, you know, then he took a little bit of a downturn. So, you know, this is what now it's, like, made me more cognizant of the fact that, okay, this is something I have to be um, mindful of, but then also, you know, in terms of even, you know, the way that we do rescues, uh, you know, I have to be extremely careful about uh, the types of uh, rescues we do going forward, knowing that uh, his immune system is compromised. So, you know, I can't just uh, bring a cat in and, you know, try to, you know, get it. Yeah, I got to make sure everything's fine with the cat before the cat comes into the household because I don't want to, you know, compromise his health at this point. So, you know, it's just something to be mindful of. But, you know, obviously it's not it's not a, a total horrible situation. It's just you have to be aware of what you need to do with it. That's all. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. If you'd like to call in to this, the Animal Welfare Hour featuring my wife, animal rescuer par excellence, Nancy Sliwa. Uh, last week, we got involved in very, very long conversations with people who were concerned about not only the refugees leaving uh, battle-torn Ukraine, 
over 4 million. But the many videos that we continue to see of the people streaming out who have with them cats in carry cases and dogs. And the question was, are there adequate shelters for them, especially for maybe those dogs or animals who have lost, uh, you know, their families, who have lost uh, uh, their owners? Uh, uh, wow. Like, uh, that's, I mean, that's a, a question that uh, certainly I don't know if can be really adequately answered. But what I can say is, um, so, uh, for instance, since the start of the, um, you know, uh, war, so to speak, that's going on right now with the Ukraine and Russia, and the people who've been uh, fleeing the Ukraine, one thing that was um, noticeable about them is that they weren't leaving their pets behind. And what was great about a lot of the receiving countries is that they were uh, extremely open to allowing people to cross borders with their pets, sorry, pets in the carriers, the pets that they were holding. Uh, now there's a bit of an issue with uh, rescue groups that have, you know, stayed behind, you know, basically been there the whole time, and they have um, dozens or maybe hundreds of animals that they've rescued in the past bunch of weeks, and now they're trying to, uh, you know, there was actually like a number of um, uh, rescue sort of organizations where, unfortunately, the people had fled, and there was animals who had perished because there was no food, uh, you know, no water. These animals just uh, died by virtue of that. So people who were going into these different uh, rescue shelters and were recovering the remaining animals that didn't perish, and now these rescue organizations are trying to bring them across the border to safety. The only problem is they don't get the same level of uh, you know, ability to come over because the exception was given to people who are bringing uh, pets over. It's not for organizations bringing rescue animals over. So, I mean, this is a really sad situation because you have animals who were in these situations who had gone without for so long and still survived, and they were rescued, and now people who are with different rescue groups are trying to bring them over into safe havens, and they're being denied access into uh, these other countries because they're, they don't fall under that exception of being a pet. So this is where the issue comes from now. I mean, these are really traumatized animals. So, uh, I mean, obviously it's important to figure out some way to quickly uh, come up with some way to allow them to just cross the border so that they've been cared for because, I mean, they survived a, a huge trauma for the past, you know, month or so. You know, this is amazing. Dateline, Quito, Ecuador. Apparently, Nancy, and you've been to Ecuador a few times, but Ecuador's high court has ruled that wild animals have legal rights. What do they mean by that? Uh, well, so basically, this was all premised on a particular case with a particular, um, you know, type of uh, monkey that had been in. I guess what would be considered like a residential type environment from the time that it was young. Uh, it was with a, a family uh, atmosphere for 18 years of its life from the time it was like a month old. And, you know, at some point obviously discovered, oh, these people have, the, I mean, again, uh, how, how they found out, but 
either way, they said, oh, well, this is incorrect. You can't be. I understand the concept of uh, individuals not housing um, what would be considered, you know, uh, wild animals because they should be in a natural environment. But the solution that happened when they found that this uh, family had been, you know, basically raising this monkey for 18 years was we're going to take it and we're going to put it into a zoo environment. So it wasn't that they were releasing it into the wild. They were putting it and so the family was trying to, uh, you know, sort of uh, combat this decision and say, look, this is the only place that this monkey has known and, you know, this is part of our family. And right away, you know, within one month, um, uh, this monkey had died from a cardiac arrest. And, you know, obviously the assumption is like the extreme level of stress, right, because it's in a totally different environment. So what was, you know, great about bringing this case forward, now again, right, obviously I'm not on board with uh, people housing what would be considered wild animals. I think the point is they should be in natural environments, but it brought um, open and, you know, this issue of recognizing that these are uh, animals with a level of cognition and you need to respect the fact that if they're being uh, put into a level of distress, you can't do that. So this, uh, you know, case that was decided in Ecuador, I think absolutely did open the the doorway for, you know, recognition of a lot of animal rights. And uh, Ecuador has an incredible diversity of animal species. So, I mean, if there was a country that was maybe going to be at the forefront of it, I would certainly say that a country that has this level of, you know, again, biodiversity makes a lot of sense. But, you know, hopefully they lead the way because everything with these animals is very piecemeal. But this definitely did recognize that it would have made more sense to have left this monkey in the environment that it was in because this was actually the family that it knew. So, again, hopefully it leads to, you know, more uh, uh, positive things for animals across the world. And uh, before we go to the calls, uh, one final story. Martha Stewart, apparently her cat was uh, mauled and attacked by dogs. Now, is this by Snoop Doggy Dog's uh, pit bull terriers? Because... She and he seem to be uh, like a partnership uh, now in business and on TV. You know, the thing about this story is I feel like it's just lacking in information. So, uh, you know, I, I tried to sort of wrap my mind around what exactly was going on here. So basically she came forward in her social media posting. Obviously, she could have just not said anything, but she was mourning the uh death of a cat that she had now this cat sadly met its end because four dogs that she has uh mauled it to death right so but aside from that the information is extremely light on what exactly happened now i started looking into you know a little bit of the description that that she gave and so this particular cat, now these all these animals, they're, you know, they're not like dogs or cats that were adopted from shelters, right? That's one of the the issues a lot of people have when they adopt animals, sometimes from shelters, right? Oh, I don't know their personality, right? You don't know what they're going to be like. Well, all these animals were clearly animals that were, you know, gotten from some environment where, you know, they were from either breeders or like, you know, young. So this is where socialization of them becomes important. So 
the way she described it is, oh, the dogs viewed this cat as an, an interlooper, which is like, okay, so they didn't recognize it. I mean, they all grew up in the same house. So how it would be not clear that they, you know, again, if you didn't see aggression before with these animals, it's a little bit odd, but these, these dogs, so the two of them were, um, there's like chow chows, and then the other ones are like uh, French bulldogs. So these are, so the chow chows, they're like 45 to 75 pounds, and the French bulldogs, they're like 12 to 28 pounds, and this cat is like 7 to 9 pounds. So this cat was basically aggressively mauled by what would be considered its housemates, and that makes zero sense unless there was, you know, no socialization. Like, someone clearly dropped a ball on either recognizing a lack of socialization or keeping them separated because this shouldn't have happened. So, you know, it, you know, it, it makes me think about how there are people who are, you know, called out if they have animal hoarding. I mean, I've seen uh, a whole lot of levels of animals who are brought into shelters. Oh, it's a hoarding situation. Sometimes you see animals in extremely bad shape. It's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. This is the reason why you took them. But then you see people who just have a lot of animals, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them, but for the fact that there's a lot of them. So in this type of situation, I would think with someone uh, like Martha Stewart, who she actually even was hosting the Puppy Bowl during the Super Bowl, I mean, she's someone who you would think you would ascribe even more responsibility in terms of animal welfare, too, because not only does she know about it, she actually you know, promotes that in her career in general. So, you know, just to sort of dismiss and say, oh, well, my own animals attacked my indoor cat. And, you know, I, like, I, there's a big question mark as to what Oh, I'll there. tell you what it is. It's the influence of Snoop Doggy Dog. I'm telling <laughs> maybe, you. Maybe, maybe. All right. But now uh, we have an opportunity to go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Kenny, first up in the queue, calling from Hudson County. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour. Featuring Nancy Sliwa, Kenny. Ben Steve from Manhattan. Go Buchanan. Go. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. He's frust- I heard Ma- Manhattan and a mechanic. I don't know what that means. No, no. He's a frustrated, uh, frustrated young man. Uh, 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 frustrated. Uh, yeah, very frustrated. Mechanic. Gotcha. Exactly. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Victor calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Hour, Victor. Wow, Curtis, I hung in there for these three hours. What a what a nice thing, though. I mean, I'm I'm complimented to be on you and the missus. You know, we met not too long ago when you were running for mayor and you went to ShopRite in Staten Island. I don't know if you remember the guy who came up to you, shook hands with you. I was a tall Italian guy, and I said to you that um, I went to Midwood High School, showed you a picture, and you said, wow, nobody kicks sand in your face. Do you remember that? Uh, I'd be lying if I told you I did. Now, a typical politician would say, of course, Victor, I remember that like it was yesterday. No, i got to be honest with you, Curtis, Victor. Curtis, it doesn't matter, but I'll tell you, we got a connection. Okay. We're both 68. I never knew that you were Slavic and Sicilian like me the first time I realized that all these years. Am I got that right? Well, actually, Victor, it's uh, Polish and Bares. Bares Italian. Not, I'm not a Chich. I'm not a Zip. Uh, Chichi, uh, what Siciliano. I meant, what I meant to say is I'm Polish 
and my and I'm Sicilian, so we're about the same, pretty close. Very good. Now, what about your dog? Okay, so I want to get to the dog. So I uh, listening to your missus, who's very versed. I uh, had two, two dogs of my own, a shepherd, uh, Doberman pitcher mix, mixes. One was a rescue, and the other one wasn't. But they were my lifelong dogs. Now I'm living with my son's dog, who's a full-breded German shepherd. And I just want to relate this to your wife. You know, I've never encountered a higher intelligent dog than a German Shepherd. They're like people. And they have such qualities, and all dogs do, obviously, animals, but they all have special sensories that we don't possess as human beings that they have to try to understand our language, try to understand our movement senses. And, yes, your wife made a good point. They can sense things and smell things and understand things that we don't even have an understanding of. So, you know, I consider them part of the family. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Nancy. I think it was your uh, grandmother who had Doberman pinches. Yes, yes. Yeah, so again, uh, when he was speaking there, talking about how he's had shepherds and Doberman pinches, we almost never see Doberman pinchers uh, any longer. And, and with my grandmother, and she was in Greenpoint, and she was, um, you know, a, a Polish immigrant. And all of the Doberman pinchers she had were rescued from the street. That was like the time when, I guess, in Greenpoint, you know, dogs were more running loose. And every time we would come over as a kid, you know, it was like she would make sure that, okay, the Doberman was like sort of, you know, sort of confined so he couldn't get close enough to us. But, I mean, for her as an older woman, to feel comfortable with these dogs. I mean, again, I think there is that level of, and, it's, and I definitely, I relate to also the uh, uh, the German Shepherds as well. It's like, there's just something about them. They're very protective. I think it has so much to do with the level of uh, socialization that you do with them. You know, it's like, this is why you really need to view them as part of your family, because the more you interact with them, the more they actually have that connection and bond with you, because... Yeah, they're not just, oh, just leave them alone and let them do what they're doing or put them in the yard or if they're cats, let them go. Like, no, you have to bond with them. As soon as you start bonding with them, that's when you get that, like, deep connection and they look out for you and, you know, they do sense all that stuff. Uh, And uh, the lack of Doberman pinches now, you're right, when I was growing up, Boy, somebody had a Dobie. You didn't mess around. You didn't want to go into their yard. <laughs> I mean, like I said, and my grandmother, and she was like, you know, when I remember visiting her, you know, at the time when I was a kid, and she was like in her 60s, 70s, and she's like right around them, and she had no problem with a stray Doberman pincher that she just rescued. And it's like, but again, it's just that, you know, sort of a way that you socialize with them. If you do that, you don't feel so nervous around them, but you have to put the time in to make that relationship happen. Now, coming up, uh, before he comes on, the barrier between me and Frank Morano, uh, Dominic Carter, you're going to have to give some uh, analysis as to why he would have a male cat named Beyonce. <laughs> I mean, it's got, it's, it's got to be something to that. He, he knows it's a male cat, and he purposefully named his cat uh, Beyonce. Yeah, I mean that—that's a tough one too, right? Because it's like with the, all the cats we've had, you know, if there's like before you know the the gender, you sort of ascribe it like a, a simple term, like you know, like we have whiskers, you know, mittens, you know. There's really no gender affiliation with it, but 
if you already know the gender and you assign it that, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other you know, ball game. I wonder, though, if Dominic's cat, who must be very confused being a male cat, <laughs> being called Beyonce, identifies as a female or a male cat. Well, we should have we should have uh, Beyonce on uh, on our uh, you know uh, pet podcast coming up. Oh, that's right, that's right. We're gonna be having a podcast coming up. It'll be filmed in the studios of seventy seven AM WABC, so you'll be able to listen to it and see it. And we're bringing in a lot of folks who work here at WABC with their pets, and you're going to analyze the relationship between their their household. And the pet, and then this will be the best, having Dominic side-by-side side with Beyonce. And then I could ask the question, why the hell would you do this to a male cat? Call it and, Beyonce. And, and then you can ask Beyonce what, what, what uh, you know, she thinks about it. Exactly. He, he thinks about it. Exactly. <laughs> 1-800-848-WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. To the phones we go, and it's Len calling from the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Len. Nancy, could I rent a lion from the Bronx Zoo? Let's go to Arthur in Westchester County. Your turn to be heard here, Arthur. Yes, hello, Arthur. Now, hello, hello there. Yes, Curtis. Arthur. Um, Steve from Manhattan, can you ban him from talk radio? The guy is ridiculous. Let's go to Michael in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Hello, Curtis. I went to my, my bird shop yesterday in... Uh, in Westchester, and uh, there was a sign on the door uh, with Chuck Schumer's phone number. And I said, why would they be putting that on the front of a pet store, you know? Then next to it, I see this note explaining how they're trying to pass a bill into the Lacey Act, which would prevent anybody from transporting wild or exotic animals over state lines. That includes birds, fish, small mammals, I got exotic birds, and they're and they're born and raised like in Texas or the South. So my pet store put that thing up there to notify the customers to be aware of this. And I was trying to let you be aware of it. Maybe you can stimulate some conversation on it. Sure, uh, Nancy, are you aware of that uh, attempt at all? No, I w- I wasn't aware of that, but I would say definitely that makes zero sense in terms of anyone who owns any of these quote-unquote exotic animals uh, lawfully. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I I could see why maybe something would be implemented if they were trying to prevent, uh, you know, people bringing them from uh, out of the country or illegally. But if it was any lawfully owned like that, I mean, hopefully there's an exception carved out, but I'm going to look into it because that would sound completely ridiculous. Like if you're a lawful pet owner, and your pet happens to be classified as exotic, that would make no sense. Let's quickly go to Gina in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina. Hi, Nancy. Kudos to you. I I love the work that you do. God bless you. Thank you. I wanted to uh, ask you this. Uh, As a lawyer, do you know the New York City laws about how many animals you can have in a multiple-dwelling apartment? Is there a way that if you had two and you wanted three, that they could stop you? 
You know what? That's, actually, that's a great question. I'm not sure uh, in terms of the only uh, restrictions that I am aware of uh, relate to uh, NYCHA, for instance, right? But anything that has to do with, and you know, again, and, and NYCHA, you know, sadly, they, they recently banned, like, a dog's over a certain amount of poundage, which is a lot of the reason why you see a lot of uh, pit bulls in the shelters now, because people are being prohibited from having them. In terms of a private landlord, I mean, the same way that <clears throat> they can increase your rent as much as they want to because they're a private landlord, in theory, they could do the same thing with uh, telling you you can have, you know, any pets, no pets, and that's, I mean, again, and this is part of the problem. This is where uh, a lot of the laws need to change because the amount of animals that uh, do get relinquished to shelters because, you know, someone, you know, moves to a different area, they rent from a different landlord. I don't understand why they can prohibit you from doing that, but it is a right that private landlords have, and the reality is, uh, like, the majority of people living in New York City have private landlords, so this is something that needs to be pushed push through legislation in terms of city where they can't ban people because this is what accounts for a lot of people relinquishing pets. So each landlord could have their own policy? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they can tell you you can't have okay. But again, obviously now in terms of how far you can, you know, I mean, you know, the, the reality is you can fight that. But in terms of a private landlord, I mean, this is the same way with a lot of things. When you see a lot of these laws that exist in the United States that are so progressive, they apply to things that are uh, government agencies or state agencies. But when it comes to private businesses, there's so much leeway that they can pretty much decide what they want to decide, and that applies to private landlords. So if you have a private landlord, you're, I mean, the reality is you could be in trouble in terms of what they're saying. Now, in terms of what they can do to you if you challenge it, that's a whole other question, but they can make that request for sure. Let's go to Betsy from Riverdale. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Betsy? Hi there. Um, I was just wondering, in your estimation, what is the best cat, the healthiest cat food, uh, wet cat food for dog, uh, for cats? Uh, so again, uh, the the, the uh, uh, different varieties of uh, the cat food that I that I use. Uh, I also have like uh, supplements, right? So you have like these supplements you buy, you you put them in there. But actually, there's one brand that I use. Um, you know, it's like a, as long as you see like the the least amount of additives in, you know, sort of uh, the ingredients. I, I like that there's this one I like, Applause, that's what it is, and it has like maybe two or three ingredients. It's very natural. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, anything otherwise that you use, uh, you know, I think the assumption is it's maybe not going to be as complete as it can. So there's a lot of supplements you can um, purchase and you know, they're in like these things that look like uh, toothpaste containers, and basically you just add it to the food that you give to your cats. And then if you wanted to go really next level, you know, you can start doing a more natural diet, and you can look, you know, online in terms of, you know, basically a couple of natural additives, and you can make stuff at home, and I think it's even more uh, cost-effective doing it that way as well. Let's go to uh, Cindy, who's calling from Brooklyn. Welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC featuring uh, Nancy Sliwa. Cindy? See you, and Curtis is doing a wonderful job. Thank you. 
Can you tell me if you, the cats you have, you said sometimes you adopt them out. Okay, where can I get one to adopt, and do you need volunteers to help you guys? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of uh, uh, reaching out in general, um, you know, you can email uh, me, nancy, at gardenangels.org. Um, you know, and the cats that I have that, uh, you know, in general that I would be adopting out it would be a combination of, uh, either rescues that I get from the shelter or ones that I adopt from, um, you know, outdoors. Like, you know, I find them on the streets, and obviously they're all vetted in that sense. But, yeah, you can reach out. And, and again, if I didn't have any cats, I would be more than happy to put you in touch with, uh, you know, several different uh, rescue groups that I know that are doing the same exact type of work I'm doing where they're, you know, vetting these cats, socializing these cats, and, you know, they're just waiting for good homes. They rescued them from the shelters. So, you know, I mean, absolutely, definitely reach out to me, nancy at guardianangels.org. Well, you can go to uh, guardianangels.org, and you'll see a tab, Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, which Nancy is the head of. Hit that tab, and you'll get all the information. Uh, you may have seen uh, Nancy, who was uh, on with Jesse Waters, on Friday, talking about the Guardian Angel Perv Buster Patrol, the all-female patrol that goes after uh, guys who constantly want to prove to women they don't suffer from erectile dysfunction in the craziest of places, parks, streets, and especially the subways. Let's go to Al uh, calling from Amityville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Yeah, Curtis, Nancy did up to all the nice things that people said about you on the radio. Uh, listen, when I was a kid, I I needed a box of Kleenex after I watched Old Yella when I was a kid. When I watched that movie Hachi with Richard Gere, I needed four boxes of Kleenex. <laughs> that 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 movie, the, you know, it was a true story. They erected a statue, but the part that really killed me at the end, when he, he waited, he died actually at the train station, waiting for him to come home from work, and it was a real tearjerker. Um, and thanks for taking my call, guys. Have a good one, all right? Yeah, there's so many of the uh, movies that focus in on dogs about what they do in real life, how they will wait for the person that uh, has had them in their household, if they are hospitalized, if they're supposedly still in work, they will wait outside. They will not move days, nights. It could be snow, ice, sleet, a tsunami. Uh, when, when I've seen those, um, you know, and actually I know what he's referring to as well, when you see that, like, obviously, it's true. You just, I mean, I feel so bad at, at the same time, but the reality is there'd be no way to take that dog away from that environment. That dog would have been traumatized. Like, the fact that this dog thinks every day, okay, maybe this person's coming back. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a sad reality, but I think that's really the kinder, you know, environment for this dog to be in. Like, if you took it away from that place, and this dog will be actually be traumatized. So it's like it's it's a beautiful sentiment of how much dedication I think any living creature has to the person they love the most. Let's go to Pete, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Pete. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. Yeah, you know, I do a little. I have several cats I take care of on Staten Island. The thing is, it's funny. The older cats live the longest. I've had cats out in the street and I told you a whole area where I feed them. 
that live up to 24, 25 years old, and I've been taking care of them. It seems like the kittens and the younger ones don't make it that long. It's the elders that do. Now, my concern that I'm calling you to ask you about, should I be concerned with this uh, bird flu that's going around? Because a lot of times when I feed these cats, a lot of the birds come down to eat from the dish the hard food because I give them the Purina blue and I give them the natural from Purina mixed. And I put the, uh, like Friskies cans. And what I do is I put the, uh, dry food in one part of the dish and the, uh, wet food in the other. And I try to give them more dry food than the, uh, thing. And every once in a while, if I see they're having a problem, if I see they're urinating and they're squatting or look, I have a problem. I put a little amoxicillin, 500 milligrams, but I don't give them 500. I put like half a capsule in the food. And I think that's why they've been surviving. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable, but, but I should be concerned about this bird flu thing or it's not really over here yet. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the uh, uh, bird flu thing is that much of a concern, um, you know, in terms of what you're speaking about. I think that unfortunately what's happened is there's been, uh, you know, several instances where some of these birds have been diagnosed and as a result, the uh, people who are, you know, somehow in charge of uh, overseeing them, whatever it is, like it's like a a food chain, something like that, they're sort of uh, euthanizing them, you know, in mass. And so it's not that they're actually testing these animals to realize well, whether or not, you know, they actually have this ailment. So I think it's like this sort of scare. So, I mean, the one example I can give, I think, today that I think is really pertinent is every single cat that I ever get from, uh, you know, adopt from the shelter, they require, one of the only things they require for sure is for every single cat to have a rabies vaccination. Now, the number of rabies cases um, of cats that have them that have infected a person in the past bunch of years in New York State is like under 10, and yet they continue to mandate that vaccination. So I think what happens is there's a singular instance or there's something that's noted, and as a result, because they can do it in mass to a number of animals, they ascribe it to a lot of animals. And, you know, sadly, this leads to an unfortunate consequence for the animal to that category. I wouldn't be concerned about it in that sense. If you can, you know, if you feel more comfortable maybe trying to divide some of the food, but I wouldn't be concerned about it like that. I think it's probably a level of overreaction, and I think that, unfortunately, there's not enough people really looking at the numbers accurately with animals because there's not enough incentive to do so. Anyway, up next, uh, Nancy, as uh, you go back uh, to our cats uh, in our small apartment in the Upper West Side, will be the man of the hour. He's the barrier between me and Frank Morano now on uh, Sunday nights going into Monday, 12 to 1. But he also is going to have to answer the question of why, oh, why? Would he name his cat Beyonce when the cat is not only anatomically a male but wants to identify as a male. You're not going to want to miss this. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Got 
Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, James Brown, with the new theme song for Dominic Carter, who has uh, been uh, used as a barrier to position him between me and Frank Morano, <laughs> since he wants no part of me anymore, that's for sure. So we got the brother, uh, the big Mac Daddy man himself. Dominic Carter. I'm black and I'm proud. I must uh, say it loud. That's right. I'm you black see that? And I'm proud. You see that? Uh, I must acknowledge you and your uh, callers last week listening uh, twelve to one because they came up with a new acronym for Black Lives Matter: Big Large Mansions. Yes. yes. I heard a number of your callers yes. refer yes. to BLM as Big Large Mansions. They sure did. By the but, way, so wait, think, this is my new song now? Yeah, this is your new song if you want to use it. Because, you know, you gave me the last one. That's so right, like, the Mac and, Daddy Man. And I was watching the James Brown story this weekend. Yeah. Now, you know. Say it loud. You know I'm you used to come out and warm up the crowds for the Republican supporter of Eisenhower, Nixon, Rockefeller. That was James Brown. Uh, sword in Jet Magazine and Ebony Magazine. But Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who was just the boy preacher back then, remember? Yes, yes. And that's why Reverend Sharpton has the hairstyle that he does. That's right. Because of James Brown. All right, now. I'm black and I'm proud. We've got to uh, get to the uh, question that was being asked during the animal welfare segment. Come on, one time. Hell. Come on, Curtis. Come on now. Come on. I know you got rhythm. You got more rhythm than me. All lives matter. All lives matter. But answer this question because a lot of our callers to the animal welfare segment wanted to know if your cat identifies anatomically as a male and should have been given a male name, why did you um, so confuse your cat by calling him Beyonce? Right. My my cat. (laughs) My poor cat. So one day the kid's out in the pool and it gets dark and it starts raining. And by the heater, by the pool heater, you know, you hear meow, meow, meow. We find the little cat. And so we end up keeping the cat. And we thought the cat was was a a girl. And we named the cat Beyonce. But then the uh, veterinarian said, no, 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 no. This is a boy. So the cat identifies as Beyonce. Are, Are you going to the gender uh, issue, Mr. Sliwa, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. So mm. anatomically, mm. Beyonce is a male, and now you've given Beyonce this 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 concept, this uh, yes. problem that it will have when it meets with <laughs> other cats. Well, Beyonce's been with us for about 10 years, and then we have Dolce, the dog. I know you're a cat lover. How's Nancy and her cats? Oh, doing well. And I'm also a dog lover. I had dogs originally when I was growing up in Canarsie. Mm. Even mm. when I had the Guardian Angels up uh, Fordham Road, Westchester, excuse me, University Avenue, I had my uh, big German Shepherd, part great Dane, uh, Buckets with me. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, he guarded the headquarters. Wow. But I didn't anyway, know that. Anyway, what do you have upcoming in your black and your proud hour? <laughs> As you perform as a barrier between me and Frank Morano, who comes on at one. So, so wait. Oh, say it loud. Mm, mm, I'm black and I'm proud. That's me. His new theme song. James Brown is the man. You have to admit. Oh, sure. There was no greater entertainment 
uh, entertainer, period, than James Brown. And let's not forget Maceo and the Mac, That's his right. backup crew. That's right. We, we have a lot coming up. Boris Johnson going to Ukraine, the crime situation in New York. Mayor Adams on day 100 has uh, announced the, he has COVID. Oh, by the way, to our listeners, uh, they should go to the uh, WABCradio.com uh, site for the podcast. Uh, unexpectedly, I think uh, Mayor Adams uh, Friday morning had called up Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk. Yes. It's a very good 10-minute uh, spirited discussion. Everybody should really listen to that. So I guess you're not the only one, you and John Katsimatidis, who get to talk to Mayor Eric Adams anymore, look, huh? Look at the look on your face. I'm black and I'm proud. Come on, Curtis. One time. One time. One <laughs> time.